0: It's 8 a.m., and I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Fuck, I'm tired. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and then walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Velocity Gnome. Who is Velocity Gnome? He was a kid in the early 2000s named Colin Pope that went by the screen name Velocity Gnome on the Something Awful forums, who one day, out of nowhere, received a book from a group of random strangers that foretold that he would become the Earth's savior in the not too distant future. The book had oddly specific information about him and his friends and his family and claimed that he would one day lead an uprising against an evil army of robots that sought to conquer the earth. Little did Colin know, this was just the beginning of a three-year journey in which he would receive many other cryptic messages, be flown around the country solving elaborate puzzles, meet wizards and other fantastical creatures, and be the main protagonist in one of the coolest pranks slash living performance art experiments slash augmented reality games of all time.
1: Act one This might have been the last good thing that happened on the internet <laughs> It's just this and then QAnon and then the internet dies. It's clear from the modern landscape of pop culture and the cynical way in which most people interact with their preferred forms of entertainment, i.e. refusing to spend their money on anything other than only the most recognizable of IPs and yet endlessly complaining about how they aren't accurate enough to some made up simulacrum of a source material that they never even read, but instead got the faint impression of by reading other people complaining about it in shitty blogs that a lot of people don't really understand creativity. And we get further and further away from the essence of what it means as a society in each meta-self-referential joke Deadpool makes. But if you can peel back the outer layer where huge megacorporations have irreversibly co-opted it to drive their multi-billion dollar capitalist IP machines, the simplest form is just the impulse that exists in people to make weird little things to spark emotion in themselves and others. It's being confronted with the necessity to cut through the noise of our sometimes bleak existence with a statement so unique and novel that it makes every... Everyone within earshot, stop for a second and remember that being alive is actually great, despite what our corporate overlords throw at us. It's not content. It's the sheer abstraction of joy or pain or hope or fear calcified into something that you can touch. And when it works, it leaves you in awe. It makes you proud of the people who did it. It makes you envious. It humbles you. It makes you feel like you haven't done enough. It inspires you. Colin Pope was a 19-year-old living with his parents in the suburbs of Chicago in August of 2003. He was going to school and working a job. He also frequented the Something Awful forums, a sort of pre-reddit hub for the weird underbelly of the internet that wasn't quite as dark as 4chan, where his username was Velocity Gnome. He had a quintessentially average life for a teenager in the early 2000s, but that was all about to change. In Colin's own words that opened up the website that he created to document the crazy experience we're about to go on, My name is Colin Pope. I am the savior of the future. Like most, with the title of savior, I never went out looking for it. No adventure found me. One evening, Colin was sitting in his room on his computer when the doorbell rang. His mom answered it and then came up to tell Colin that somebody was at the door for him. And he says he's from the future. Confused and intrigued, Colin went downstairs and came face to face with a man in his 20s who said that his name was Zane Figium. He handed Colin a package wrapped in a newspaper, told him it was from the future, and left. Colin went back to his bedroom and opened the package. It contained a scrapbook titled, Jim Missile, a tribute to Velocity Gnome. Colin started thumbing through the book to discover that it was a collection of various photos and clippings that documented the last year of his life in oddly specific detail. It contained pictures and information about his friends and family, and things he had said and done online as his alter ego, Velocity Gnome. It was clear from the specificity as well as how far it went back that this wasn't just a hastily thrown together prank meant to freak out some random kid. Whoever did this had spent weeks or even months meticulously gathering information and learning about Colin's life. The level of detail that had gone into whatever this was, was profound. Attached to the back of the scrapbook was a CD labeled Open in Case of Future. Colin threw on the CD and listened as he continued analyzing the book. It was a mix of various songs from the '80s. We're gonna take a look at this scrapbook because um, our boy Velocity Gnome meticulously documented every aspect of this entire thing. So there's pictures of every single document, so much so that we're not gonna look at them all because some of them are boring. It's just like here's an envelope that says my name on it. Um, but we are gonna look at some of the the main stuff. So this is this is the the cover to the scrapbook. This first thing that he got. What, what, what does this look like, Dave?
0: This looks, uh, it's a spiral-bound notebook that you would buy at a stationery store, but it has a sheet of paper wheat pasted to the front of it um, that says gem missile colon a Tribute to velocity gnome with a little uh, drawing of a gnome on the front and sort of stat bar at the bottom and really tacky, um, really tacky like gem jewels with like, Fixative on the back that you would get at again, like a Michaels or a Ben Franklin's or some sort of uh, craft store.
1: Yeah, and this 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 will come into play later as we talk about this. I don't want to spoil anything, but just want to point it out that in this this little stat bar or this little this little block on the bottom that's showing like sort of RPG um, stats and and attacks or whatever this is supposed to be. Um, it has four little panels. One of them just says gnome, and it's like a little eight bit sprite of a gnome. And then there's one that says "speed down" and it has some stats there, which I, I think is just a, a, like supposed to be an attack that he has. He can cast one um, mana or magic point and and uh, do a speed down spell where he can lower the speed of an enemy. And then there's other the other two. One of them says "jim missile," which is an attack, which is the name of this 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 scrapbook, and it, it costs two mana. And then one of the attacks or whatever it is is called earth slide earth slide earth slide and that that'll that'll come into play later and i just want to point it out to show like front like cuz th- you know this this happened in um, august of 2003 was whenever they gave him this scrapbook and um, i just want to i just want to call out that this has the attack earth slide on here just to set up how either just how far out this whole thing was planned or how much they were just like planting little world building things and then like later on like figuring out how they fit into the whole thing Um, and we won't read every one of these pages because it's it's the whole scrapbook but um, you, we'll, Let's take a look at a couple of these and, and Dave can kind of describe what what's going on. So
0: opening up the, the spiral bound notebook, the interior has a handwritten message on it. And then the opening page is a photo of Colin sitting there at a desk looking at the camera with a piece of, with a block of text underneath it. And the, the handwritten message says, in memory and warning of my son and future king, may this book guide you swiftly into the future. Godspeed, you
1: gnome, Zane. So they've they've established that he, he, I mean, maybe he's using it as a slang term, but basically what they've established is that Zane Figium is Colin's dad from the future.
0: And it's written in the handwriting of obviously a young person. (laughs) It's like really fucked up and the lines kind of go into each other. And then I can't read the bottom under that photo. What what does that say?
1: Uh, It's like, it's a quote from Zangief. Which Zangief, the char- the Russian wrestler from from Street Fighter, is oh, he? He's he he's, he he's used throughout this whole thing. He's he's a common uh, motif for whatever reason, a common Zangief. Uh, but it's a quote from him, or a quote a quote that's supposed to be <laughs> from
0: him. You can't just know. move on from a common <laughs> Zangief. <laughs> yeah, he's just a common Zangief. <laughs> 8 a.m. baby 8 fucking a.m. baby the only thing that would be better is if you ripped off your hair and your shirt and you had the zangief mohawk and the chest hair and I'm just
1: like, I'm just wearing only a speedo
0: <laughs> it's a common zangief
1: um, it's 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 a quote that's supposed to be from Zangief. I don't know if this is actually a quote from him, but it's just beautiful. The silhouette of my body when I win. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's a thing that Zangief ever said, but that's it's a it's attributed as a quote from him.
0: I mean, that sounds like something he could have said in that Street Fighter Two movie.
1: Um, yeah, totally, totally could have been from the movie. I don't remember it though.
0: Bro, but it's all handwritten. This is like serial killer shit.
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay, so yeah, I I just I mean, I just want to look at one of these where like basically it's like like Dave said it's like serial killer like stuff pasted onto pages and it's all this like crazy like nearly unintelligible uh information and just weird random quotes and like prophecies and things like that. But then there's stuff like this where it's like on one of these pages amongst all these random references and prophecies or whatever there's just a picture of like one of colin's friends which is like a level creepier than if it was pictures of colin because it's already creepy that the scrapbook just has like personal photos of colin in it but then it's like here's one of colin's college friends or whatever that's just also pa- pasted in here and it's like how did they find this how did they get a hold of this how they know who this was how'd they get this picture of them and and you gotta you gotta remember that this is this is pre social media. This is like before the like this is before Friendster. Like the, like nowadays it would be very easy to go onto somebody's Facebook page and then like get like a create like a, a a you know a thought cloud of them and their lives and then like the lives of like 10 of their friends. Like you could do that in a day now. But you this social media did not exist. Like you had you had to actually like find people and research them and like discover, uh, you know, do digging to like try to find like random forums or blogs that they've posted on and like dig up stuff that they've said in like little pockets of the Internet. And then this whole thing is basically just like comprised of personal photos of him that have been like printed out and pasted on here. And then, like, also randomly, like pictures of his friends and stuff like that. Is
0: that his dad? Is that old dude with the beard? His dad?
1: I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't. I don't. I don't actually know who any of these people are. But I do know that just just from reading that, several of these pictures are just like people that he like friends and family members pictures of friends and family members like who whoever whoever this guy is is somebody that he knows maybe it is his dad
0: i mean he's got a beard that guy looks like a common zangief to me
1: i mean what, what are your impressions of this because as we're going to get into like this story really has no drama to it. it. it there's not like a thing where it's like oh like for a while i was terrified and thought somebody was stalking me or whatever like colin was like into this from moment one but what what is what is your impression looking at this?
0: I think it's awesome, but I also think it is creepy. Like I I don't know how I would respond to that. I would I would either think it's hilarious or I would be like, "What the fuck is this? Someone is stalking me." I think it's a I don't I think it's a little bit different when you're like a teenager and you don't necessarily have like a real grip on your own mortality, you know. But once you get a little bit older and you're kind of aware that people are fucking nuts and could just show up to your house with a gun, it gets a lot less charming. So this is kind of the perfect age for this to happen and also it's so apparent that it's someone else his age like just from the handwriting and the video game references like it's it's pretty transparent but also i still would probably be a little freaked out just the idea of someone like watching me and like learning all of this stuff about me
1: yeah and and like i said before like there's a couple things at play because nowadays it like it wouldn't be that it wouldn't like if somebody did this the 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 math equation in your head would would be a little bit simpler where you'd be like, okay, like somebody could fairly easily do this using social media. And not only that, but the fact that it's so deep and personal means that I likely know this person that that's sort of like what you would kind of think nowadays. Back then, it was a completely different thing because it would it would actually be the opposite where the level of detail of this would mean would see, seem like it was likely not somebody you knew because because like your family members and friends friends wouldn't have easy access to these random pockets of the internet where you've posted things and talked about yourself. Um, so it is likely some random person who stumbled across your stuff, and also you know social media didn't exist, so it wouldn't be it would be very difficult and strenuous to find these things not only would it be creepier to you if you were a little older and not a teenager who just maybe like, you know, wasn't thinking about these things in a very logical way, but also back in 2003, it would be even creepier because it would just imply that an obsessive stranger made this. As a teenager, I think maybe I would like think this was cool. But as of now, I would definitely be like, what the fuck? Like, i gotta i gotta move colin was excited amused confused maybe a little creeped out but endlessly curious who the hell was this person and why had he done this what was the meaning of the scrapbook or the cd why had he been chosen for this strange event none of these answers would come at least not for a while colin was left to continue wondering what had transpired he posted about the incident online meticulously documenting his run-in with zang figia and uploading photos of each page of the scrapbook Inevitably, people thought he was just trolling or trying to get attention, as often happens in these internet forums. Message boards and other hubs of the internet fringes are rife with made-up hoaxes generated to gain a little clout, as we'll learn about in an upcoming episode of Deep Cuts. As days turned into weeks, which turned into months, slowly Colin forgot about that strange night. A whole year went by. Colin's run-in with the future may as well have been a dream. Then, as out of nowhere as it had happened exactly a year prior, Colin received a message in August of 2004 from none other than Zane Figium, The message said that Colin would need to travel alone to Minneapolis, Minnesota by the end of August Because by that time the portal would be closed And that the future of the world hung in the balance So a random stranger asked 20-year-old Colin to fly by himself to another state And what did he do? He requested the time off work, got his other affairs in order, and told Zane that he would go. The following week, Colin found an envelope in his mailbox. It contained a round-trip plane ticket to Minneapolis along with this letter.
0: Bantam and Pink Pool Enterprises. Dear Mr. Pope, congratulations. You, Colin, Jared, Pope, have been chosen from an elite group of young future leaders to receive the prestigious Future Scholarship of the Future TM. This distinguished award is presented once every century to recognize the future accomplishments of a young on. Um future leader, with enormous potential for heroic choices. Past recipients include RoboCop and RoboCop 3 for the SNES. A ceremony will be held on August 28, 2004 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to officially present you with the Future Scholarship of the Future. Before the ceremony, a complimentary luncheon will be held at a prestigious five-star restaurant. Among the attendees will be your future right hand and emotional confidant throughout the resistance, Shags of international fame, and Eva How Tuff, Editor-in-Chief of Intellectual Futurist Magazine, IF Magazine has had a long-standing tradition of honoring future leaders, and it will be available in every free human's home and brain chamber by the year 2018. Enclosed is your itinerary for one round-trip electronic plane ticket to transport you to and from the event. Your personal driver will be awaiting your arrival. Overnight accommodations will be provided by IF Magazine, as well as complimentary coupons for local eateries and the gala event. I look forward to meeting you in person, Mr. Pope. Please be punctual, dress smart, and remember, the future is yours. Future sincerely, Gino Bantam, Bantam and Pink Pool Associates. Also, all of that was done on a letterhead where there is a transcript Parent Zangief in the background of all of that.
1: Yeah, which is just which is just an odd touch of all this stuff is that Zangief is just used a lot throughout this thing, even though he has nothing to do with the story. He's never actually referenced, but he's like he's almost like it's almost as if like in this future, Zangief has become like they've they just lost it somehow became lost in translation that he was a video game character and they just think that he's real and he's become like a founding father. Where like his face will just be on things like George Washington or whatever. And it, it also contained a certificate that just says, congratulations, Colin Pope. This certificate is redeemable for one scholarship and one Arby's brand Big Montana dinner sandwich. <laughs> Arby's returns again. <laughs>
0: Uh, Back in the days when Andrew ate meat, he was a stalwart defender of the Arby's.
1: I mean, I still am a stalwart defender of the Arby's just because I can't enjoy it. (laughs) So the envelope also had this um, photo in it, which, which this photo is a picture of from a year ago in August of 2003, whenever Zane Figium came to Colin's house and knocked on his door and gave him the scrapbook. There's a picture of Colin answering the door from across the street.
0: Man, that's so terrifying. That's so terrifying.
1: And it says, it says, uh, it's got this picture and then it has handwritten, it says, it says proof. So scary.
0: I think that also colors it, too, of, like, it's not as scary because you know the person that's doing this to you is another, like, 19 or 20-year-old kid. It'd be different if it was, like, an adult man that came to the door.
1: So Colin hopped on the plane and arrived at the Minneapolis airport. At first, he had no idea what he was supposed to do, but it was quickly revealed to him when he saw a man waiting at baggage claim holding a large sign that said Velocity Gnome. The man, wearing a green sweater and John Deere hat, introduced himself as the gatekeeper to Colin and then said,
0: Gnome, we are not safe here. We must leave immediately.
1: They left the airport and the gatekeeper ushered Colin to a raggedy Lincoln town car with a faded paint job and run-down interior. Colin climbed into the back seat and the gatekeeper began to drive. As he drove, he started a handheld tape recorder and merely said, They're evaluating us. I feel like at some point we have to talk about the wedding proposal video. At some point during the drive, the gatekeeper handed Colin another envelope. It contained a blank sheet of paper with seemingly no further clues. However, Colin suddenly remembered that Zane had asked him to bring a blacklight on his trip and he shone it on the paper, revealing the message, Give this password to your driver. Earth slide. Colin spoke the password to the gatekeeper, who then opened the glove compartment and handed Colin a thicker envelope. He told him not to open it until he was in his hotel room and then dropped him off at a Hampton Inn. In his hotel, he opened the envelope to find a series of puzzles and clues. He spent the night deciphering them and eventually discovered a password that he was supposed to give the gatekeeper when he picked him up in the morning. Upon giving the password to the gatekeeper the next morning, he said that he would drive Colin to a restaurant where he would meet up with Zane Figian himself seeing him for the first time since he showed up on his doorstep over a year ago. He would also meet with Shags, his right-hand man, whatever that meant. Upon arriving at the restaurant, he was led to a table where someone was waiting for him. But it wasn't Zane. It was another kid in his early 20s who introduced himself as Shags, but my real name is Tyler. He seemed to be another random kid recruited into this bizarre adventure, except he was even more confused and not nearly as enthusiastic about it as Colin was. In fact, he seemed fairly off-put by the whole thing. The only thing he could determine after an hour or so of conversation was that they were both frequent users of the Something Awful forums. Finally, a waitress came to their table and handed them another envelope. It contained a letter. Gnome and Shags.
0: By now you have had time to get acquainted. Gnome, the leader of the Resistance, and Shags, his right-hand man and confidant, together at last. I apologize that I cannot show up in person just yet. There are forces conspiring against us. However, you have all the power and wit necessary to complete this adventure as a team. Only you, Gnome and Shags, have the skills necessary to finish this quest. I assure you, I will appear when the time is right. You will follow multiple clues that will ultimately lead you to a treasure containing the tools you will need in the future. I came back through a portal to deliver these tools, to the two of you, and only you two are to receive them. If they fall into the wrong hands, the future will be lost. Consider this a test and also a lesson. It will prepare you for the hardships that are to come, and unleash in both of you hidden powers you never realized you had. You will face many trials and you must emerge victorious, learn from each other, combine your resources, and trust in your abilities. As both of you know, you were told not to bring any devices with which you could document this adventure, so I am providing them for you. For you, Gnome, an adventure journal and a future pen to inscribe notes and clues. On an adventure, it's always a good idea to write things down. To you, Shags, I give you a video camera to document the quest. Feel free to use as you like, but when your quest is over, the camera shall be return to me these items will be waiting for you in the car when you return now start your journey tell your driver to go to the location of the first trial once inside the first location you will face a robot be not afraid it is not yet sentient nor does it crave man meat it is nonetheless dangerous hidden somewhere among the robot's clothing you will find a clue leading you to the next location of the next trial. Reminder, the future is yours. Forever your loyal servant, Zane.
1: I love how this whole thing is like, all right, we're deep into this kayfabe story. I'm this character and we're going on this journey. But like also you got to give the video camera back because that was expensive. And I'm a 20 year old poor college student. And I spent a lot of money on that. I need it back. (laughs) Like, like time out for a second. I need the camera back.
0: That camera, that camera is my mom's. So please don't fuck that camera up because that camera is my mom's. So, you know, just be respectful because that camera is my mom's.
1: But I I get this is going back a little bit, but I just really have to stop and like go back to this again. Like, would you have flown to Minneapolis? If somebody, would you, if somebody sent you a plane ticket, would you have gotten on the plane and just flown to this place?
0: So there's my cooler more logical brain where i would have said fuck no i'm not gonna do that however you know me man as soon as there's a getting the band together thing i'm like fuck yeah let's go let's do it like i i drove to south dakota because i woke up that morning and was like you know i've never seen mount rushmore i'm gonna go and then i
1: just drove
0: <laughs> to south dakota to see fucking mount rushmore so like well first of all
1: mount rushmore sucks so that was a waste yeah it of was trip.
0: weird it was really weird it was not what i thought it was gonna be um, but like, I, you know, I'm, and I'm not like the most impulsive person. I'm not going to say I'm like, ooh, crazy. But I definitely love shit like that where it's like you just wake up in the morning and you're like, you know what? Let's go to New York. And then you just pack a bag and go.
1: Yeah, but that's that's a little different than <laughs> a plane ticket. Yeah. Well, it's a little different than somebody else like luring you to a location. 100%. It's so different. Which is like, which is like, that's like literally the definition of what like you're told not to do is like never allow a stranger to take you to a second location
0: yeah i don't know man i think i probably would have done it just because especially after a year of anticipation of like thinking about like what the fuck is this book
1: yeah you got you gotta know you it's like it's not even it, like out of nowhere the plane ticket like probably not but like after a year you've you just have to know yeah
0: i think i probably would have done it
1: um like unwittingly or not that's a feature of the whole thing is that you give them this confounding thing leave them hanging for a year and then they will do anything they'll do anything to figure out what the fuck is going on yeah completely colin and shags aka tyler left the restaurant and got back into the car with the gatekeeper who seemed to immediately recognize tyler and greeted him as shags tyler was awkward and unwilling to play along with the kayfabe role-playing that was going on While driving, the gatekeeper gave Colin a memo book and a pen and Tyler a video camera, and they headed to their first trial. And there's a video of this, but I didn't put it in here because it's like it's kind of hard to hear what's going on and just not really compelling to listen to from a podcast perspective. But there's video of him recording where the gatekeeper, the driver guy is, you know, he's just being like, "Ah, yes, the future times are here and shags my oldest friend. And and then um Uh, Colin who is he's he is stalwart throughout this entire thing like he is from moment one into this and not only into this but like playing along like I kind of left it out because it's not really part of like the it it just kind of interrupted the flow of the story but according to him and I think Zane Figian corroborates it whenever he came to the door to answer it the very first time, back in August of two thousand three, and Zane Figuim was there with the with the scrapbook. He was like, um, "This is this is a document from the future." And Colin was like, "Is it plans for a for a time machine?" Like he was like from like the first words he said were like in character, full kayfabe. So he he's like playing along in it, and he's like totally being he's being the character of the John Connor who like is from the present, and he doesn't know what his future holds but he like believes that it's gonna happen. But then Tyler is just like not playing along at all. He's just kind of awkwardly being like, yeah, man.
0: I love it so much.
1: It turned out that the first trial was at a Chuck E. Cheese's and before Colin and Shags headed in, Colin had the idea to use the video camera to start documenting their process. The two guys recorded each other introducing themselves. So we have our our first real footage of Colin and then just this whole saga in general. Is it on?
2: Alright, my name is Colin Pope, otherwise known as Velocity Gnome, and today is Saturday, the 28th of August. About a week ago, or a little more, I was contacted by Zane Figium, who had delivered me a book about a year ago, and he told me he was from the future, and that this book was assembled to help me save the future, anyhow, this most recent package included a plane ticket Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that is where we are now, and yesterday I was picked up at the airport by someone who referred to himself as the gatekeeper. He drove me to the Hampton Inn Hotel and gave me a puzzle to solve. I spent the night there, solved the puzzle, and today I was taken to a restaurant called Zeno's in Uptown, Minnesota. There I met Shag's, otherwise known as Tyler, who also did not know what was going on and we immediately thought each other to be Zane. However, it turned out that neither of us was, and neither of us had any idea of what was going on. And about fifteen minutes into this conversation, the waitress brought a note that Zane left earlier. And it told us that we were going to be engaging in some trials today. And that is where we are now, on our first trial. And we are going to attempt to solve these today, and they gave us a camera to document this on tape. So that is what this is going to be. Do you want to film anything? Here, wait, just just go over what's happened to you. Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Go over what's happened to you so far. My name's
1: Tyler, Uh, AKA Shags, and pretty much everything Alan just said is what's been happening. Like, I was contacted like a month ago, after I solved this puzzle online that was like filled with like Super Nintendo Mm -hmm. trivia The
2: one that I I solved yesterday too Yeah,
1: it's a puzzle that that Colin solved yesterday and then pretty much everything that's happened to him has happened to me I I I took a bus out here and I met up with him and now we're going with the same driver everywhere and we're looking for this address
2: (laughs) to find, like, the France Avenue. Maybe it we should try up the Some sort there. of... Because mm-hmm. it seems to be downstairs. Well, all right
1: so that that was that was colin aka velocity gnome the main the protagonist of our story and then shags his future right hand man also
0: i just have to state for the record um nerd culture in 2003 was so specific and so oppressively uncool that i had that exact shirt that
1: gnome was wearing yeah i thought i i thought about that too i was like yeah it's like it's He's dressed in such a specific way where it's like in the like now, I guess because of the Internet and social media and probably also the way that like capitalism has bled into like cultures, you know, in ways because of social media. Like there's a lot more style that exists amongst everybody. Like style has been democratized, even if it's people appropriating styles or you know, buying into styles and trends that maybe they would have never had anything to do with in the beginning if they hadn't been, like, shown it on, like, TikTok or whatever. But, like, back then, because there wasn't social media, like, style was really only, like, relegated to, like, a certain pocket of, like, people. And for everybody else, there was just no style. So this dude, he's just wearing, like, a polo shirt and slacks. And, like, that's, like, how, that's how, like, most people dressed in in, like, the early 2000s.
0: Yeah, I didn't I wasn't necessarily on that slacks tip, but man, did I have some fucking, you know, two for
1: one gap polos. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like he's just like a he's just like like nowadays. I don't know. I don't know how Colin would be dressed. I I feel like he would just, you know, he'd be wearing like maybe like a shirt like I'm wearing or whatever. I'm not saying that I'm. I'm not saying this is the pinnacle of style at all, but it has like it has some like aspect of like, oh, this is like kind of represents my personality or whatever. But like he he's just like a blank slate. He looks like he's he looks like he's just like dressed to go to like a fucking private school or something. Colin, who fuck it, we'll just refer to as Velocity Gnome moving forward and shags, scoured the Chuck E. Cheese, sidestepping screaming eight-year-olds looking for clues in the trial. They needed to find a robot, and eventually, after investigating several robot-like machines, they remembered the animatronic band that used to be in every Chuck E. Cheese before our collective millennial childhood died in 2019 when they decided to remove them. Gnome and Shags snuck over to the band, that was currently deactivated and waiting behind the stage curtain, and investigated. They eventually found another envelope in the back pocket of one of the animatronic band members. It contained a note and a magic eye puzzle.
0: Gnome and Shags. congratulations on finding the second clue. You are indeed brave, and yet, uh, no matter. Jags, you must use your calculating machine for these instructions once you have deciphered the instructions it will tell you a location in the area ask your driver for a map if you need it go to this location and use the magic illusion painting to find the location of the third clue good luck zane
1: um and the, the instructions that it's talking about it, it there, there's another sheet of paper that has like a set of code that you would in um, input into a graphing calculator to get some kind of result. And then it has this magic eye puzzle or magic eye painting, which uh, I don't know if it's because it's just a Xerox photo of it, but I can't see anything in this.
0: Yeah, I can't see anything either.
1: I never can see those those fucking things though. Yeah, I can see them. But I I don't think this one works because it's like a it's like a it's like a photo it's like a, a scan of a printout of one of these things. Shags entered the code into a graphing calculator and it produced a drawing of an apple with seeds in it and a cake. They eventually discovered it was an anagram for Cedar Lake, which was a nearby area. The magic eye painting was a picture of a weird sculpture, and as they approached Cedar Lake, they immediately saw the sculpture and instructed the gatekeeper to stop the car. They discovered yet another envelope underneath the sculpture. This one contained a treasure map that directed them to a state park. They got in the car and headed towards their destination. Once they arrived at the state park, the gatekeeper handed them a shovel and they headed into the woods to follow the treasure map to a large red X. Once they reached the X, Velocity Gnome started digging and eventually uncovered a large black Brink safe box with no key or discernible way to unlock it. There were no other clues or indications of what they would do next as velocity gnome kneeled in front of the hole he dug staring at the box wondering what to do he looked up to see shags aka tyler aka the guy who seemed to be just as confused about this whole thing as he was pointing a phaser gun at him you've gone far enough gnome shags was a plant <laughs> i love it i love it so much he was a fucking plant this is the moment where it becomes it just transcends to genius because like the 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 central conceit of this whole thing is that it's like it's 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 a kayfabe it's it's a it's it's an artificial kayfabe laid on top of a like scavenger hunt basically where nobody has any reasonable expectation that anybody is thinking that this is real. Like everybody is is willingly playing along into a kayfabe.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a fake. It's a it's a false kayfabe because it's asymmetrical kayfabe. Because kayfabe, the idea of it is that everyone is agreeing that this thing is not that is not real is real and comporting themselves with a sense of uh, integrity or or protecting this central. False narrative and willing that false narrative into reality, whereas this is people. It's like kayfabe, two layers deep, where it's people who know that it's not real, pretending that it's real, but knowing that they're pretending that it's real.
1: Yeah. So, so you you're going along with this, and you've kind of established a status quo of like we're all we're we're playing into this game, but nobody. We're not gonna we're not gonna convince anybody this is real. Like we don't we're not actually convincing Colin that he's really. a a savior in the future this is just like a cool conceptual thing that we're doing then to go another step forward and be like okay so we can't convince him that he's really a savior from the future but how can we actually surprise him in a way that he does not anticipate and so they've done this thing where they've used the fact that everybody knows this is not real to their advantage by creating a character who refuses to play along with the kayfabe. he's kind of like not want he's like not wanting to play into it he's not he doesn't want to be in character he seems to be kind of like not into it or he's been like roped into it but he's kind of like uh, I don't know how I feel about this this is kind of weird and he doesn't want to play along and then to use that character to genuinely throw a twist into this story, where they've lulled Colin into, the, into a false sense of security that he's hanging out with this other guy who's also a part of this and then he's also like been roped into it and he's just kind of like not as much of a team player and then to twist that and be like no motherfucker he's a character and he's been fucking tricking you this whole time and it, like, it's a genuine twist that you can, like, within a story that is blatantly not real, that everybody knows isn't real, to actually be able to surprise you and be like, oh, fuck, this isn't what I thought it was, is is just so, it's so awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. It's so cool. Colin was in disbelief. He had not seen this coming. The whole act of pretending like he was a slightly aloof victim of circumstance who had been roped into this whole thing but far less enthusiastic about it had completely fooled him. And so this, quote, plot twist was genuinely surprising thrilling. Colin played along, feigning betrayal. Shags revealed that he wasn't actually Shags, but someone named Maggie Hark who had murdered the real Shags and taken his place in order to ambush Colin. He also revealed that he was going to kill Colin and bury him in the woods, but that he had one chance of survival, a saving throw. Shags slash Maggie pulled out a 20-sided dice and handed it to Velocity Gnome, who rolled it. What the dice landed on seemed to have been a successful saving throw because Maggie yelled in frustration, lowered his phaser, and handed the black lockbox over to Colin. He let out a maniacal laugh and left Colin alone in the woods. Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine? He just, like, fucking cackles and then sprints off and you're
0: just standing there in the woods with a black box. Just like, what the actual fuck is happening
1: to me right now? For real. Like, there, there's... The the, na- the title of Act 2 is going to sort of like basically telegraph this. But I've always thought about this because, I mean, I, I can just we can just stop here for a second and talk about this. Um, you know, now's as good a time as any. But this is a story that I read. I stumbled across this back in uh, many years ago, over a decade ago, I think, at this point. Like this all happened between 2003 and 2005. And I stumbled across this in like 2007 and read about it. And, you know, the reason why we're doing this episode is because not only I, I, lo- I love this story and I love this thing that happened and it's been heavily inspirational to me just from a storytelling standpoint and the way that you can like experiment with ways of telling stories and push boundaries between like storytelling and performance art and, and conceptual performance and intera- uh, interactive gamified storytelling um and i've been obsessed with the story for so many years and i always anytime i can i evangelize this and try to get people to read it um and it's really easy because there's just a website where it's called the futureshock.com and it just tells the story um from colin's perspective in a, like a, in a timeline so you can just kind of be like read this and you and, and you don't have to even explain anything um but the um the, the thing that i've always thought about this is your first? My first instinct is that I want to be jealous of the guys who did this because this is like exactly something I would want to do. I would, I would love to create something like this. But in, what, but really, when you get down to it, like doing this would be cool. But what would be even cooler is this happening to you. Like if this just like anybody in the world. I mean, if you can get past the 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 fear of like, oh, am I going to be murdered? Is this bad? Is this like somebody stalking me and. Like, the, da- the inherent dangers um, that I think more and more, you know, in recent times, like, it's even more like you probably shouldn't engage in this because it's likely something, you know, creepy. But if you, aside from that, removing all of that, like, I would, my my creative self is like, oh, I wish I could do this. But if you peeling away that layer, it's like, no, I wish that this happened to me. Like, I don't care about being able to claim the fucking credit of having done this cool thing and told this interesting experimental story like i just want to wake up one day and this this shit happens to me it's so
0: it's it's pretty crazy like it it my name's Ryan and my life is pretty crazy
1: like <laughs> it's pretty surreal man but you know that's kind of the weird handoff of creativity where it's like you know you people want to do things like this because they want these things they these things to exist and they don't so it's like it's that we're, it, we've, we've talked about this before, you know a lot. We've talked about this we' talked about this extensively on the on the Kojima episode, where it's like you make things because you wish that they were in the world for you to enjoy, but through that process, you can actually enjoy it because you are locked into the, the psychological process of creating it. And so you you have to enjoy it vicariously through other people's enjoyment of it, which is never quite the same as if you were able to enjoy it. And this is like maybe the quintessential version of that, where it's like, it would be so cool if something like this happened to me. But what if I did this to somebody else, which is like the next best thing. But you can never quite enjoy it as much as if you really were somebody who just like somebody went out of their way to construct this fucking weird storyline around you and lead you on this adventure.
0: Yeah, completely. You know, creating the maze is not as compelling as getting lost in the maze.
1: Velocity Gnome returned to the town car, where the gatekeeper was waiting for him. The gatekeeper opened the back door for him, and as Gnome was ducking into his seat, he noticed that there was another figure waiting for him in the car. It was Zane. Zane explained to him that Maggie had escaped, but that Gnome had still saved the future. Colin also notes in this retelling of the story that Zane was wearing a jersey for something called the Futurettes, which appeared to be a basketball team from the future which I thought was a really cool, subtle bit of world building. He never references it or says anything about it. He's just wearing it as if like, yeah, I'm just from the future. There's a basketball team in the future called the Futurettes, and I'm just a fan.
0: And I live in a future where the WNBA is like a thing.
1: Yes, it's like the main form of basketball entertainment. Zane went on to explain that Velocity Gnome was the leader of a resistance in the future, and his future self had prepared these trials for himself in the past to be better fit to lead all of humanity. Maggie, as it turns out, was a cyborg. After their long car ride, they pulled up to the Minneapolis airport where they dropped Colin off to board his flight that they had perfectly timed to be departing shortly after he had solved the final clue and had his run in with Maggie. As Colin was unloading his bags from the trunk of the town car, Zane turned to him and said,
0: Noam, you have done well today. You've saved the future. You must leave for now, but do not forget the things you have accomplished today. Goodbye, my father.
1: Zane is his son. Rum, bum, bum. He's not Zane isn't call, isn't Velocity Gnome's dad Velocity Gnome is Zane's dad <laughs> it's So stupid. he then threw him a key and the town car drove away as Colin sat waiting for his flight he used the key to open the black lockbox that he had dug up in the park it contained a few cryptic items as well as another intricately detailed scrapbook similar to the one he had received a year ago this one titled earthslide so let's let's take a look at a few of these things in this box, there was just a bunch of cryptic things um there's a picture of a guy sitting on a bed and it it says shags your lieutenant your fallen comrade and uh so and basically like this is just some random guy but the but the the basic gist of it is like this is what the real shags looks like which he does not look anything like the shags that we thought was shags which turned out to be maggie there's a uh, a, a set of plans for some kind of spaceship. It's just like a. It's like a game. It's like a role playing game uh, floor plan for some kind of spaceship. And then here is the second scrapbook called Earth Slide. Ooh, ooh! This one looks even weirder and more amateurish, but also cooler. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like it looks like it's like uh, I don't want to put as much work into this bullshit as that last one. That was ins- That was insane. But it still is like a lot of work. That, to say, the, I just think it. Like, there was less like. There was less like cutting things out and like pasting them and more just kind of like writing and drawing on the paper. Because I think they were just like, I don't want to do that again. That was a lot of fucking work.
0: Uh, so I just looked it up And Roma is not a character That has the ethnic background of Roma It appears She first appeared in Captain Britain Number 1 Created by Chris Claremont, Herb Trimpey And Fred Keita um, And she appears to be Like a otherworldly uh, Omniversal character her, The brief description of her The title of her uh, wiki entry is Roma is a fictional character appearing in American comic books Published by Marvel Comics She is the daughter of Merlin Roma is an omniversal guardian charged with the safety of the omniverse. She, assisted in the, she is assisted in this task by Saturnine, the Omniversal uh, Magistrix. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't I and I I don't know how that plays into the story, honestly. I don't think it's ever really fully explained unless I missed something. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were just, like, throwing in, like, w- cryptic things that they didn't have an explanation for just to create intrigue. And then, like, I mean, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about this, you know, in the, in, in the third act of just, like, interpretations and thoughts on the whole thing. But, you know, I think I think there's some aspect of, like, throwing in just random terminology and weird little clues that just really didn't have any explanation or meaning and then, like, reverse engineering, like, later on figuring out what they meant. And, you know, in that process, sometimes certain threads just don't get tied up or it's like, ah, we didn't quite really figure out what we did with that so we'll just leave that as just like
0: uh, uh, a weird little dangling kind of loose end or whatever yeah
1: um, but yeah this, this this scrapbook is just more backstory and information about the future oh my god that photo charisma number 19 wow um, and I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes to these scrapbooks as well as a bunch of other stuff so you can take a look at it yourself we're not going to read all of this but uh, yeah it's just a bunch it's just a bunch of uh, backstory that you don't necessarily need to know to follow the story Zangief's tips for the future. Humans rule. Robots drool. Um, you can read this to get more of like the backstory that they created for this whole thing um, in the show notes. And with that, Velocity Gnome flew home, having experienced something truly bizarre and unexplainable, only to have to wait another six months before he would find the next clue in his epic saga to save the future.
0: This is, I'm so into this. I
4: love this. <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is Hilsmer Spacha Demon the space hell demon, and Andrew and Dave are forcing me to- What are you talking about, Hilsmer? Nobody's forcing you to do anything. You literally barged in here in the middle of me recording this
1: promo and insisted that you do it. You said that I sucked at it and you could do it so much better than me.
4: Yeah, exactly. I'm being forced to do it because you suck so much at your job. So anyway, Andrew and Dave are forcing me to get on the microphone today and kind of go over a bunch of the cool deep cut stuff that's going on right now. So first and foremost, Dave is coming out with a new pixie box book which I guess are apparently called comics now, all of a sudden, but uh, yeah, the book is called Everyone is Tulip, and it's coming out June 29th, available in all comic stores and stores in general, I guess, and uh, it's, it's written by Dave, and it's drawn by Nicole Goo, and it's colored by Ellie Hall, and it's basically about an aspiring actress who moves to LA to try to make it big, and then she ends up sort of doing these weird experimental performance art YouTube videos and gets mixed in with this sort of identity-shattering underbelly of Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, so that, that book is coming out uh, June 29th, and you can actually read the entire thing by going to everyoneistulip.com where they're releasing the book page by page as a webcomic leading up to the release of it. Also, you can get official Deep Cuts merch by going to deepcutspod.com and clicking on the shop. Or you can go to bit.ly.com slash merch and you can get t-shirts, you can get hats, you can get coffee mugs, you can get baby onesies. You can also get a mystery treehouse investigation agency patch that you can put on a backpack or put on your jacket uh, by going to deepcutspod.com and going to the shop. Or you can actually get that at Dave's shop at heydavebaker.com or you can get it at Andrew's shop at dapricerights.com. You should also follow Deep Cuts on YouTube by searching Deep Cuts, where we are going to be releasing some cool, interesting, long-form video in the coming months. You can follow Deep Cuts on Facebook, where Dave and Andrew put out these, like, reaction videos where they watch old movies and kind of react to them. You could also join the Facebook group, which is a group where a bunch of Deep Cuts listeners go to kind of hang out and talk about episodes or talk about random, interesting subjects. A lot of episodes are kind of born in that group. There's a lot of memes that happen there. It seems like a just a fun place for fucking nerds that like this bullshit would hang out. You can follow Deep Cuts on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse, where they do short form explainers. So if there's an idea that's like not long enough or in depth enough to do like a full episode on, they'll do like three minute explainers on TikTok. You can also check out all the different books and projects that Andrew and Dave are releasing on their websites, DAPriceWrites.com and HeyDaveBaker.com, where they put out comics and books and video projects and anything else they're doing outside of the Deep Cuts world. Such as Dave's books, Fuck Off Squad and Action Hospital, or Andrew's book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. And finally, if you go to deepcutspod.com and scroll to the bottom to sign up for the mailing list, you'll receive a semi-regular newsletter called the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency Circular, which collects all the news and new content that Andrew and Dave are putting out and kind of puts it in one place, as well as provides some more commentary, and maybe in the future there might be some cool behind-the-scenes info that's going to be released there. There. Are you fucking happy? Once again, Hilsmer, you didn't need to do that. You insisted, and in fact, I would have preferred to do it. Is that the thanks I get? Get out of here.
1: Act 2. It's that Vince McMahon meme where he's getting progressively more horny about a series of things. The first one is reading about this, the second one is being the guys who orchestrated it, and the third most horny one is getting to be Colin experiencing it. In February of 2005, it had been six months since Colin's adventure in Minneapolis. He had documented the events and posted them in the Something Awful forums, and the story had actually blown up. Many people were invested in this mystifying situation and who could possibly be behind it. However, even with some viral buzz on the forum, the whole episode once again started to fade into the background radiation of Colin's normal life. That is until one day when he received a private message on something awful. The subject of the message was, I found your future stalkers. The message contained a link to a website, and the title of the website was, Reverse Engineers. There's someone at the door for you. He says he's from the future. The website was an advertisement for an art exhibit about Colin and his adventure. The site contained a thorough description of the events that had taken place between August 2003 and August 2004, recounting Colin's meeting with Zane at his house, as well as his trek all over Minneapolis, and detailed an art exhibit taking place at the Carnegie Art Center in North Tonawanda, New York, where people could walk through to look at photos, videos, and descriptions of this two-year prank or performance art experiment or live action role-playing game or whatever you wanted to call it that Colin had been experiencing. And the exhibit, as well as this whole thing, had apparently been created by two guys, Dylan Reif and Joe Korsmo. This is what the website said. In 2002, Dylan Reif and Joe Korsmo
0: began tracking the internet activities of Colin, aka V-Node, an 18-year-old computer gamer. They monitored and recorded Colin's AOL instant messages and gathered information about his friends and family from other sources on the net. Blending this data with scenarios from video games and science fiction films, they developed a mythology in which Colin is singled out as the savior of the human race. The story is told in Gem Missile, a tribute to V-Gnome, a 40-page book that incorporates photographs of Colin and excerpts from his personal correspondence. In August of 2003, Reef and Korsmo showed up at Colin's parents' doorstep in Chicago. Reef introduced himself as Z. Figium, Colin's mentor from the future, presented him with a book, and left without any further explanation. The plot thickened several days later when Colin posted a detailed description of the encounter to an online gaming forum, along with digital photos, of every page in the book. Members of the forum quickly added their own theories and responses, which ranged from close readings of the text and speculations about the gender of its authors to admissions of jealousy and accusations that Colin had invented this story in order to get a high rating on the thread, which in a few weeks had received over 40,000 hits. Dylan Reef is an actor and playwright who studies theater at Antioch College. Joe Corsmo studied business and marketing at the University of Pennsylvania. Both are avid gamers and have been playing them together for about 15 years. Their installation is titled After Colin's Mother's Announcement. There's someone at the door. He says he's from the future.
1: Colin's mind was blown by this information. Not only had he finally figured out who the hell had been doing this to him for two years, but also seemingly why. He was part of some weird art exhibit in upstate New York. Cool, I guess. Colin didn't really know how to feel about this, what to do, who these guys were, why they had chosen him for this thing, or how the person who had messaged him had found this website. All he could really do was continue living in this surreal new world. Five days later, he was heading out to work when he found a CD at his front door that had been slipped through the mail slot. Endorphins rushing through his body, having finally gotten another clue in this ongoing weirdness after six grueling months, he excitedly raced to pop it into his computer and see what it was. It was this. What the fuck? What the fuck? This was was on on the CD that he got. Maggie Hark, who, if you don't remember, is is the Shags, a.k.a. Tyler guy. Zane
0: Figium. So we're looking at, a, like, a Street Fighter mod where Zangief is fighting another guy.
1: Yeah. Zane Figium is represented as Zangief, and then Maggie Hark is another Street Fighter character. They're fighting. Maggie Hark is kind of besting Zane Figium. He's beating him. And then uh, Colin, a.k.a. the Velocity Gnome, appears out of nowhere. <laughs> great he hits uh maggie hark with laser eyes and kills him and then uh zane Figgian says colin thank you for saving the future you truly are the stuff of legends that was fucking awesome yeah so that's that's the video that he received under his uh under his door um and i and i just i just want to once again stop and say um you know after after you sort of read that whole description of what dylan reef and joe corsmo had done and why they you know how they had learned all this stuff about him I just want to once again just stop take a second and say that in this particular specific scenario this was all innocent and all in good fun and just a really cool thing but in nearly any other context this the details of what what this is and what they did is insanely creepy and I feel like if this had started I feel like if this had been like now if they had started doing this or if they had had the idea to do this in our present day, they likely would have not done it because they would have been much more conscious of how this could come off as very creepy and scary. And they probably would have thought twice about doing any of this, but that with the sort of um, freedom of the burden of self-awareness that we've been increasingly you know, taken over by in terms of cybersecurity and cyber stalking and cyber bullying in, in recent years. Um, they were able to do this and it was all fine and innocent but that if you know it had been another time they probably just wouldn't have done this at all
0: and also if the gender roles or racial roles had been different it would have a completely different meaning
1: oh yeah as we'll as we'll find out really quickly um, this this could have gone really badly for anything other than a anything other than a very um a very unassuming uh, white guy, as we'll find out really quickly. He became even more determined to find the guys who were doing this and eventually tracked down the phone number of Dylan Reef's mom. He called her, posing as an old friend of Dylan's, and was able to get her to give over his current phone number. So this was it. Moment of truth. Colin dialed the number and waited as it rang. Finally, Dylan answered by excitedly yelling, Hi, Colin! He knew he'd be calling. Colin exchanged a few words back and forth with Dylan, and then after about a minute, Dylan asked if he could call Colin back, and then spoke a few confusing, indecipherable words, and then Colin heard a beep. The whole thing had been an answering machine message, and we're going to listen to that right now. This is the answering machine message that was on Dylan's phone.
2: Oh, hey, Colin, how's it going? Oh, I'm
0: sorry to hear that. Well, hopefully you can get out to see the art show. Remember, you're the star.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I knew you'd understand everything. Hey,
3: uh, could you give me a call back in a minute? I'm about to dine on turtle soup. Big Apple! 3 a.m. File transfer, cute.
1: <laughs> I, can't, I can't fully hear everything he's saying, but he says, he says something like. I'm
0: about to dine on turtle soup, Big Apple, 3 a.m. And then I missed what that last part was.
1: And then he says like, he says like, he says like he says something like um, uh, transmission ended or something like in, a, in like a robotic type voice. Colin's mind was blown. Somehow Dylan had orchestrated this whole thing. He somehow knew that Colin would discover his identity and track down his phone number and call him only to hear this message. But how? Had he been the one who private messaged Colin on something awful with a link to the art exhibit? That seems likely, but had he also anticipated that he'd track down Dylan's mom's number? Had she been instructed to give away Dylan's number? How deep did the rabbit hole go? Colin called back the next day and got a different fake-out message.
2: Yellow. hello. Oh, hey, Colin.
3: So what's up? No, this isn't a recording. Colin, let me level with you. This isn't safe. We need to meet
2: face-to-face. Now, I have a place in mind, but we need to pool our resources together to make this happen.
3: Do you have any questions? Great. Well, I've got to get going. I'm late for a green-green picnic. I know, I know. When in doubt, use the microphone. I get it already. You don't need to treat me like a Padawan. Well, I wait your call tomorrow. Thank you, old friend. Bye, i transfer to
0: <laughs> I can't get over this.
1: This is so elaborate, and I love it. Colin kept calling the number for several days, and each time received another cryptic fake-out answering machine message. Finally, one day, he called the number and Dylan answered for real. Except this time, he didn't refer to him as Colin. Dylan answered the phone and said, Hello, gnome. The phones are not secure, so we cannot discuss details here. Dylan told Colin that he needed to travel to North Tonawanda, the town where the art exhibit was being held. After a brief discussion, they decided on a date for Colin to travel. Friday, March 18th of 2005, a month away. Colin, who will go back to referring as Velocity Gnome now that he's back into the kayfabe, prepared himself, got the time off from work, and drove 10 hours to North Tonawanda. He arrived in the middle of the night and drove to the Carnegie Art Center. Dylan had cryptically instructed him to, quote, shed light on the situation when he arrived at the art center, so Noam had brought his black light with him. He arrived at the art center and immediately started walking around the perimeter of the building, shining the black light on every surface, looking for clues. This eventually attracted the attention of a cop who was patrolling the area. He approached Nome and questioned him about what he was doing. This is the exchange that transpired between Velocity Gnome and the police officer. Uh, hello, hello? Hi. Uh, were you just around this building with a flashlight? Yes, I was. This is a bit of an odd story, but I
0: just drove here from Chicago. There's a there's an exhibit on the inside of this gallery that's, well, it's all about me. And there's this sort of, like, clue hidden here that I need to find that's supposed to be visible by blacklight.
1: Can I have your license, please? I'll be right back. The cop went back to his squad car to run the plates, and eventually another squad car showed up for backup. They continued questioning Colin and unsure of whether to believe this bizarre story or not. Finally, after he showed them the website for the art exhibit corroborating a story, they let him go. He drove to the nearest motel and went to sleep. And this is what I was talking about, where it's like, this could have gone very badly. I mean, it could have gone very badly for him, um, but especially if he was not a, like, baby-faced white kid. Um, But uh, even for him, this could have gone badly. Like, I feel like if if I had found out that he was, like, caught by the cops, I would have been, like... I would have felt so bad. I would have been like, Oh fuck. Like I could have gotten you like arrested. I could have gotten you hurt. Like this, as much as I love this, this story is just caked in so much. Like this was the early two thousands and we just weren't thinking this through properly. (laughs) The next day, he went back to the art center. His exhibit wasn't open yet, but there was a children's pottery class being held there, and the teacher, being familiar with the exhibit, allowed him to enter. This is how Velocity Gnome described his experience seeing the exhibit for the first time.
0: It was a very large room with many exhibits set up all along the walls and on podiums. Mine was towards the back, and I went over to inspect it. Memorabilia from the events hung on the walls and sat on stands. The famous phaser, printouts of my original story from the internet my plane ticket to Minneapolis and more. I was drawn into a television standing to the side that was playing a video. I soon realized that the video was of the initial delivery of the scrapbook from 2003. The video was obviously shot out of a car window from the street and you can hear people talking as the events take place. Oh my God, is that really him? I've never seen him in real life.
1: Only in my dreams! Someone yells as I come to my front door. Noam started shining his black light around the room and eventually found a message contained in a framed photo on the wall. It said, Wind Chapel, Friday, May 18th, 2005. Bring the internet. At this moment, Nome reflected on the situation.
0: At this point, I stopped to realize the genius of the guys I was dealing with. They had left this coded message
1: in the exhibit more than a month ago, knowing that I was going to show up someday. The curator of the exhibit finally arrived and Nome asked if he could make a copy of the tape showing the guys appearing at his doorstep. But he said he wasn't allowed to without permission from the artists. He also divulged that this was not the first exhibit about the Velocity Gnome Saga that had been held at the Carnegie Art Center, and that there had been one more prior. In a daze, Gnome returned to his car, got out his laptop, and checked his messages on the Something Awful forums. And lo and behold, he had one from Dylan. The message told him that the Wind Chapel was a virtual location on the internet, and that this next event on May 18th was going to be a battle taking place in a video game. Velocity Gnome packed up his car and began the 10-hour drive back to Chicago, to await his next challenge. When May 18th rolled around, Gnome joined the Wind Chapel, which was a video game that had seemingly been created by Dylan and company for the purposes of furthering the story. Here is Gnome's recounting of the events that occurred in the game.
0: We gathered in the meeting place of Wind Chapel, chatting idly as 7.30 p.m. rolled around. At that precise moment, Zane Figium and the Gatekeeper appeared out of thin air. Zane gave a brief overview of the quest that we would partake in. There were apparently several glyphs that the wizards of old had left, which would lead to the embodied appendages of Maggie Hark Shags or Tyler from Minneapolis for those who don't remember, which had been scattered all about. He gave us the first clue and we set to work, solving his word puzzles and scouring the world of, for these pieces. One by one we collected the pieces of Maggie and advanced through the virtual trials.
1: And this is this is like a screenshot from the game. So it's kind of like these sprites walking around in this little like 2D isometric terrain and they're kind of chatting. And I think that the, the game is really like, it's not even really a game, it's just like, it's just a chat box and then like they're just their avatars are just standing like kind of representing them and then they can like have a battle where they which is basically just like a graphical version of D&D where they're just casting spells and rolling and, and they can beat each other with rolls. The last piece was revealed to be in a locked chest.
0: Zane told me that the secret would be found within. Primitive anti-light through a second time. That could mean none other than use the black light on the second scrapbook, shining it over the pages. I was once again struck by their genius. Sure enough, on a page near the end of the book, I received nearly a year ago a numeric password was scrawled in UV-sensitive ink. I entered the password and opened the chest, revealing Maggie Hark's ring. Overjoyed, Zane assembled the group and marched us to where we were to dispose of Maggie's cybernetic parts once and for all. Holding the pieces aloft, he yelled, Traguna! Mecloides! Tracorum! Satis D!" Instead of vanishing forever into the abyss, Maggie Hark appeared before us in all his cybernetic glory. We had been tricked, so it is written, gnome, and so shall your fate be sealed, Zane yelled. Maggie, assemble! Destroy the world, warriors! We spoke fun into battle. The gatekeeper, still on our side, attempted to defend us from Zane's wrath. Attack with your strength, warriors, he cried. It was futile, however. Zane made short work of us, vanishing instantly
1: afterwards. Zane was a fucking traitor. Velocity Gnome's son from the future betrayed him. This entire thing was a ploy. This motherfucker. But you didn't see that coming. Just at that moment, there was a knock at Gnome's door in real life. He ran and opened it, discovering another package. He opened it, revealing a mini DV tape, a note that said, All will be revealed at Episode Three, please attend, and a movie ticket to the midnight release of Star Wars Episode Three, which
2: happened <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which happened to be taking place in a few hours. And uh, funny enough, I, I also went to a midnight premiere of Star Wars Episode 3 in uh, Bakersfield, California. I was with um, uh, a couple friends of mine. Um, Matt Kiley, who is a listener to the show, was there. And uh, also my friend Zach, who's the one who has introduced us to Dan O'Neill, who uh, we will be interviewing for a future episode of Deep Cuts. Um, So I was we were there hanging out in that line while this whole thing was taking place. Gnome jumped on the train and headed to the movie theater. This was in the early 2000s when a midnight screenings only happened for a select few movies instead of basically all of them. And B, they only screened them at midnight on the night before the movie's release instead of every hour on the hour starting at like 6 p.m. So the crowd at this screening was huge. Hundreds of people were waiting in line, many of them dressed in full Star Wars costumes. Gnome had no idea what to look for or where his next clue would emerge but he didn't have to wait or wonder for long. As Gnome was heading up some stairs in the theater, somebody wearing large goggles approached him. He asked if he was Gnome and then handed him a frame with some papers inside of it, patted him on the back and said, There is still one you can trust. He then disappeared into a nearby crowd. Gnome decided to watch the movie and then deal with his next clue afterward. On the train home from the movie, he opened the frame and looked at the papers inside. It was a seven page story detailing the backstory of who Zane was velocity gnome's son from the future and why he had come to betray the robot resistance fighters and his own father it's very long so if you want to read it we'll include it in the show notes but the gist of it is this
0: maggie hark was once a normal human but was outfitted with cybernetic limbs and enhancements and eventually became the most popular pro wrestler of all time and eventually the greatest hero of all time officially dubbed by the UN as the strongest person living or dead in the year 20xx Robots destroyed 89% of the world's population. A resistance emerged, led by Velocity Gnome, and a war began. Gnome eventually had a son named Zane, who became as powerful as he was. However, Gnome was always too busy with fighting the revolution to pay attention to Zane, and Zane slowly grew lonely and resentful of his father. They grew apart one night while on a camping trip together. (laughs) Gnome received an urgent call and had to leave to take care of some business. Zane was left alone in the woods and was attacked by an angry pack of bears. He wasn't able to fight them without his father and was nearly killed, his body badly mangled. In this moment, he turned evil and swore revenge on his father. He decided to help the robot army destroy the Resistance by creating a powerful ally that would match Velocity Gnome. Zane went back in time to when Maggie Hart was in his early wrestling career, entered the pro wrestling circuit, rose to the ranks, and eventually went one-on-one with Maggie, defeating him for the first time. The defeat destroyed Maggie and turned his heart evil. Maggie went on a rampage, killing ruthlessly thousands and destroying everything in his path until he was finally over taken by the world's militaries and killed. His body was cut into several pieces, and those pieces were hidden in different locations around the world. When Zane returned to the future, he was angered to find out that a human tribunal of wizards had discovered Zane's plan, found the body parts themselves, and sent them back into the past and hid them inside of the internet behind a series of glyphs and codes. Zane realized that the only person smart enough to crack the code was Velocity Gnome himself, when his father, Velocity Gnome in the future, gave him the mission of going back to the past and delivering the scrapbook to his past self in order to better prepare him for the war against the robots, Zane decided to alter the mission and trick the past gnome into helping him crack the codes and unlock the body parts for Maggie Hark so he could reassemble them and use them to conquer the Earth and kill his father. Zane killed two human college students, Dylan and Joe, and turned their bodies into cyborgs to help him gain Velocity Gnome's trust. The plan worked. Velocity Gnome solved all the problems and helped free Maggie Hark from cyberspace. When Zane returned to the future, Velocity Gnome was dead, and with Maggie Hark's help, the robots were destroying the Resistance. However, Maggie soon became more and more destructive and no longer allied with the robots. He created a doomsday device and destroyed the entire universe. Father Time didn't like this outcome and decided to rewind time to the beginning of the events and let them replay as if things would turn out differently, but they didn't. The universe was once again destroyed, and so he rewound time again to see if it would play out differently. This happened many times over and over and over again, each time with events and details slightly different every time Velocity Gnome was a different person in a different time period. But the events always ended with the universe's destruction. This current timeline with Colin Pope as Velocity i was after thousands of iterations of the sequence of events. However, this time, it was different. When Maggie Hark was reassembled, he could not defeat Velocity Gnome. And so the destruction of the universe in the future was thwarted. So in response, Maggie Hark had decided to go back in time himself and kill Velocity Gnome's sidekick, Shags, and assume his place so he could kill the past version of Velocity Gnome. But this still didn't work. And Gnome once again emerged victorious. As a final desperate attempt, Maggie Hark has traveled back in time to the present to build another doomsday device and destroy the universe where the resistance doesn't exist yet to stop him. In December of this year, he will emerge, detonate the Doomsday device, and destroy the universe yet again, unless Colin Pope, aka Velocity Gnome, can stop him once and for all.
1: Now, taking into account that we have no personal experience with this at all, can you just imagine the, like, cobbling together and reverse engineering of, like, two years worth of, like, random improv bullshit that they had been putting into this whole thing to try to figure out A cohesive storyline.
0: Andrew, you know, I've never had firsthand experience with this. I've never experienced anything like this. I've never had 2 a.m. phone calls with anyone, especially not you, pacing around my apartment talking about how we can potentially wrap up long running story threads for possibly real, possibly fictional universes inside of podcasts. I don't know what that's like, but I can imagine that that's simultaneously really fun and also mind numbing. But again, I have, I have no, I have no experience with that. So I'm speaking purely hypothetically. Like, I think that I would like that, but I also think that I would hate that. But not hate it enough to stop. Just hate it when it's in that last like 15 or 20 percent where you have to try and tie up all the loose ends. But I love it, would probably love it for that first 80 percent, probably. But I don't know because I've never done anything like this.
1: And 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 hypothetically, speaking purely hypothetically, I feel like it also might be like simultaneously really thrilling and also really nerve wracking to like craft like a 30 page storyline and then rope like a pseudo celebrity into playing one of the characters in that. And then, like, simultaneously feeling guilty of, like, making them, you know, spend their time doing this, but also, like, thinking it's really funny that somebody would – a total stranger would come on and, like, allow themselves to be roped into – reading a 30-page script of a storyline that they had nothing to do with and had no idea they were going to be a part of until the night that it happened? Hypothetically. For legal reasons, this is a joke. Finally, when he was able to watch the mini-DV tape, it turned out to be various zany figures throughout history reenacting the video that Gnome had shot with Shags way back in Minneapolis outside of Chuck E. Cheese. It was the video of Colin introducing himself and explaining the situation, but with different random characters reciting his lines verbatim with text on screen explaining what year and country they were from. It was showing that Velocity Gnome had been reincarnated over and over again throughout the ages in order to save the future from a robot apocalypse, only to fail each time. And uh, here, here's that video. Yep. So this is so. The, so basically, they take that video we watched earlier in Act One, where it's Colin in front of a brick wall, talking to the camera, talking to Shags, and kind of just recapping what he did. Except for in this one, in this first one, it's uh, a guy in like a in Israeli commando. Uh, uniform and then like a dog head yeah a dog mask yeah and then it says velocity gnome israel 1952 and then here's one it's the same thing except for it's called velocity gnome as a caveman in 2 million bc (laughs) here's one with a guy says velocity gnome munich germany 2072 and then it's a guy in like a futuristic shirt olympic speed skating preliminaries Here's one where it's a guy in a Star Trek shirt, and this is Velocity Gnome Stardate 35944.1. I don't think that's
0: canonically correct, by the way.
1: Yeah, here's one where it's just a dog, and it's, he's just standing in front of the brick wall, and then the, the, the words are being uh, conveyed in subtitles. Um, and it's just it's just a bunch of different ones of them, of like these characters all reenacting the events that took place in Minneapolis. But now the final chapter in the Velocity Gnome saga was about to transpire. And Colin, a.k.a. the current incarnation of Velocity Gnome, was about to see if he could once and for all prevent the coming of the destruction of humanity by the evil army of robots. And it'd all play out as a rock opera? Yes! <laughs> yes!
0: <laughs> oh! I'm so excited. Yes! <laughs>
1: Act 3. Remember that Napster musical we did? Yeah, turns out everything I do is inspired by this specific thing. December 10th of 2005 was when this entire epic saga finally drew to a close. Velocity Gnome had also received instructions from Father Time to travel to Yellow Springs in Ohio along with a plane ticket. He got on the plane and headed towards the terminus of his fate. Gnome was going to meet up with someone named Lazon, a future resistance fighter sent back to guide him on his journey at the airport. But he was also going to meet up with a guy named Dave. It's me. It's me. It's... it's You back in time. You went back in time to... It's literally just me. He's just a regular security guard who worked at the airport who had read Colin's story on the Something Awful forums and wanted to meet him. In the baggage claim area of the airport, he was approached by Dave. They talked for a bit about the story until Lazon finally arrived, accompanied by another person called the Observer. Lazon was decked out in a full leather getup reminiscent of a character from The Matrix, and the Observer was wearing a bright red jumpsuit, a white helmet, had a mask covering his face, and was carrying around a video camera hooked up to a laptop computer that was strapped to his chest. Lazon told Nome that the Observer would be documenting the day's events for future historical record. He also was unable to speak. Um, and this this is this is what uh, this is what Lazon and the Observer look like. So this is Lazon. bro. Lazon looking kind of cool, man. I'm into that jacket. And he's just got like a leather jacket on. He's wearing all black, like Doc Martens or combat boots or whatever they are. And he's just, you know, he's looking like a like a guy from the Matrix. Sick fro, dude. Yeah. And then this is the Observer. Not nearly as cool. Yeah. I mean, he's just he's like he's basically like a a tech a, a techie, you know, like. Uh, uh, techies, like during a theater production, they'll wear all black and sometimes they'll take things out on stage or, you know, if they're a puppeteer or whatever. And the idea is are supposed to just ignore them and pretend like they don't exist. So he's got a camera and he's just wearing like a red jumpsuit. And they've just, they've just like hastily thrown together a story for him that he's like the observer. He's just the person there that's documenting this for history, but he's really just filming it, obviously. Wait, what? Don't ruin this for me. Nome introduced Lazon to Dave, who he seemed kind of caught off guard by. And then they left the airport and got into Lazon's red minivan. <laughs>
0: The mundanity just like sprinkled in just really sells it. It really sells it.
1: Yeah, the little cracks that pop up here and there that are really funny to me is where it's like they have this whole storyline and they're going all in on this sci-fi epic story. But like they're really they're still just poor college kids. So it's just like, yeah, this is just like my mom's van. Like I don't have we can't afford to buy like a nice car. We can't afford like a a limo or something. Um, uh, Dave did not tag along. And I, I only include that that detail because I thought it was funny, because when he talks about Dave and meeting up with Dave, you know, my thought is like, oh, is this guy going to end up being a part of it? Like it's another like misdirect where you think it's just a random guy who found out about him on the forums and he wants to meet him and then he turns out to be a part of it. But he's not. He he just really ends up being a normal guy who just found out about the story and wanted to meet Colin. But I thought it was funny to include it because it really like it was like to me, it was like, oh, is he going to be part of it? Oh, no, never mind. He's he's just a normal guy.
0: Yeah, that's what you think. But that was a plant for this moment right now. 20 years later, Dave comes on the podcast and kills you. You just have to do the you'd have to do the rest of the podcast indefinitely with some guy
1: you've never met who's just pretending like you guys have this long-standing relationship (laughs) it was it was all for this moment they drove for a while lazan making some small talk about future events while the observer continued filming everything periodically opening the laptop and clicking the mouse or typing something every so often at some point lazan revealed his backstory that he was once a powerful warrior until one of the robot army operatives cut his beard off in battle causing him to lose most of his power they eventually arrived at a movie theater attached to him all Lazan informed him that they'd be heading into a training facility to watch a training video, and that they would also rendezvous with another resistance operative named Ultra, and that when the time was right, Colin would need to speak Ultra's name out loud in order to gain control of them. They entered the movie theater, and Lazan bought two tickets for the film Derailed, while the Observer hung around outside, obviously not allowed to go inside the theater with his camera. They entered the auditorium for derailed where they were completely alone and then after a while liaison excused himself to get some popcorn while he was gone a woman wearing a skirt a pink fuzzy cape and, a, and boots entered and told him that he was late for their meeting and that she needed to give him a haircut. He followed her out of the movie, and as they were heading through the lobby, a name tag fell out of her pocket revealing that she was Ultra. As they left the theater, Ultra kept asking Colin what kind of haircut he wanted. When he finally said, I don't know, she pulled out a pair of scissors and yelled, THEN DIE! and attacked him. He awkwardly wrestled her away as the Observer came into the theater lobby and circled around them filming. Colin finally remembered that Lazon had told him to speak Ultra's name out loud to gain control of her and yelled it to her. She immediately stopped attacking him and confessed that the robot army had taken control of her mind and forced her to attack him. She then asked him to cut out a lock of her hair. He did so, and then she asked to cut a lock of his. Hesitantly, he allowed her to. She took the two tufts of hair, mixed them together, and then released them into the wind as a way of bonding them together forever. At that moment, Lazon appeared, exchanged a brief introduction with Ultra, and then ushered everyone back into the minivan in the parking lot. They didn't even watch Derailed? They didn't even watch Derailed! They didn't didn't get to finish watching Derailed. They'll never never know what happened.
0: Is Derailed the movie with uh, Denzel Washington and Chris
1: Pine, where they're on a train? It's a Tony Scott movie. What is Derailed? Um, and I, I, think, I, think that's, I think you're talking about the remake of The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. No, you're not, because that one has Travolta Travolta in it. Um, derailed, the 2005 film. Uh, this one has Owen, Clive Owen, Jennifer Aniston, and Vincent Cassell. It's a crime thriller based on a novel by James Siegel. Huh, okay, fair enough. In the car on the way to their destination, Ultra asked if Colin still wanted her to cut his hair. He said fuck it and agreed, and she gave him a simple clean-up. It has nothing to do with the story, just a weird little detail that seems so interesting to me because it feels like the actor who played Ultra was an actual hairdresser or beauty school student in real life, that decided to incorporate it into her character. I mean, that's 100% what that was. And I love it. I love it. Also, do you think that Joe
0: and, I forget the other guy's name, did, do, do you think Dylan, do you think they named Lazon?
1: Or do you think he named his own character Lazon? The only thing I can think, of, the only thing I can say is if I was orchestrating this, I would delegate as much of the things as possible to people involved in it so that I didn't have to come up with everything. And I would have totally allowed every single person to come up with their own name, their own costume. Costume and their own backstory because like this shit is
0: the whitest shit ever and the one black dude is named Lazon and it's like, did he come up with that Because if he did, cool, not a problem. If these two white dudes were like, hey, our one black friend we're gonna name you Lazon. I don't know. Maybe that's fine.
1: I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he came up with his own name because of the reason I just said that I would I would I would totally just delegate as much as possible to all the different people. So I didn't have to come up with every single little thing. Right, 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 right. On the way to their next destination, Lazon told Colin that he'd need to wear a disguise in order to avoid being spotted by the enemy. In response, Ultra announced that she had the perfect disguise and produced a wearable beard from her pack, proclaiming that she had collected it during her journeys, implying that she had once faced Lazon in battle and de-bearded him, but neither of them remembered? Colin put on the beard and they pulled up to some kind of novelty costume shop. They headed in and met with a wizard named Darwin Cinderthistle.
0: <laughs> I love that name. Oh, my God, bro. Darwin cindersnissle or whatever Cinder thistle. Bro, that looks like me during a certain thing we did. Yeah. It's like really not that far off.
1: Yeah, but th- that wasn't on purpose. But yes, you're right. He's yeah, he's wearing he's wearing like a cloak. He's got like a thunderbolt or a lightning bolt necklace. Um, He's got like a he's got a beard. He has long hair, which is like the hair is black. But then there's like a streak of blonde in the front of it. And then he's wearing, like, a witch hat rather than, like, a wizard hat. (laughs) This is so good. Darwin told Colin that he needed to find a chalice forged of pure dragon's blood and that he'd know it when he saw it. Colin searched the small store and finally found a red chalice sitting on a countertop. Darwin instructed him to put the chalice in his bag and sneak out before the store clerk at the counter spotted them. Feeling awkward about appearing to be shoplifting, Colin took the chalice and they started to leave the store. As they were headed to the door, the clerk yelled at them, saying that she had seen them steal the chalice. Darwin casted some kind of magic spell and the clerk fainted and fell to the ground. They ran out of the store. How good is that? Yeah. And there's so there's so much like I really wish that we could have interviewed Colin and Dylan. Um, But I just couldn't. They just wouldn't respond to me. Um, But I really wish I could have we could have interviewed them because there's so much detail about this story. Like it's it's shocking how much detail there is about this thing, because Colin documented everything and Dylan and Joe also documented everything. So there's video footage. There's pictures of every single person in their costume. There's pictures of every single prop used. There's detailed backstories. There's like, there's fucking, there's like written prose and all this stuff. But the one thing that there's not is behind the scenes information about the process of how they pulled all this off. And that's the stuff that I'm really interested. I want to know, like... How'd you pull together like these stores and getting them to agree to do this? And who, where did all these actors come from? And like, how did you convince the movie theater to let you do this and like give you an empty showing to do this in? And like, all these different things that I'm so curious about the little details of how they pulled it off. How'd you pitch the, 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 the museum on doing the art exhibits for this? How'd you pitch the theater on, you know, all these things that I, I would love to know about. Outside, Darwin asked Colin to give him the red chalice and that he would return it to him later when he reached Maggie Hark's lair. Colin did so, he and Darwin parted ways, Ultra uh, bid her farewells and followed after Darwin, and Colin, Lazon, and the Observer climbed back into the minivan. The next destination was a small used bookstore. They went inside and met a man wearing a red beanie whose name was Worm the Scholar. Worm instructed Colin to scan the books in the history section of the store to learn something about the history of his life. Colin started rifling through the rows of books, eventually finding a fully illustrated comic book called Velocity Gnome, The Father Time Loop. That retold the story of how Zane had turned evil and Maggie Hark had destroyed the universe, but in comic book form. Are there photos? Are there photos of this? Let me tell you the great tragedy because um, I've read this comic and the comic was available on the website as part of the whole thing, but the link is dead now. There the, the comic is taken down, and I can't find any um, other source of it. So the comic the full comic book used to be up on this site. And I've read it, but it, it's not there anymore. Is it cool? Uh, I remember it being fine. I remember it being like, oh, this looks like... It looks basically like Richard Bacastlin level of a comic, but like not I as I mean, that good sounds as, awesome. I love old Dirty Dick. Yeah, not as good as that, though. It's like that style, but not as good. Okay, I still want to see this, though. It's like, it's like old school Elf Quest. Hey, man, don't be shitting on my girl, Wendy Peeney. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm it, it's um, what I'm saying is that it has that like almost like amateurish charm to it. Right. But that could also be just a false memory. Maybe we maybe if we did see it, it would just suck. I don't know. I, I I read this. Like I said, I read this in 2007. Yeah, it's not there anymore. The link is dead and I couldn't find anywhere else where it was uploaded. Listeners, find us copies. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was going to be a, a whole component of this was that we were going to look at the comic. That was like that was in my mind the whole time. But as I was putting the putting the whole story together, I, st- I got to this point and the fucking comic was gone. Listeners, junior sleuths, there's a mystery afoot. Find us a PDF or a physical copy to mail to us of Velocity Gnome The Father Time Loop, the comic book. They left the bookstore and Worm once again parted ways with the group. Lazan then suggested that they get something to eat and the three of them awkwardly ate in a nearby restaurant as waitstaff and patrons stared at them. While they were eating, Colin was able to get a glance of the screen of the Observer's laptop. He had a wireless broadband card in the computer and was live streaming everything he had been filming the entire day. To where? Who knows. Eventually, Laison received a phone call and then ushered everyone back into his van to drive to their final location. In a total rush at this point, Laison drove them to the Antioch Theater where someone ran out of the building and whisked Colin away to follow him. Lazan urged him to go and Colin followed the man into the back of the theater. Inside of the theater, the man was rushing Colin through a hallway. He could see that the walls had been lined with photos of him on his various adventures. Somewhere in the theater, he could hear a large crowd chanting, Velocity Gnome, Velocity Gnome, over and over again. There was some kind of music playing from a large sound system. The man brought Colin to a doorway behind the stage to the theater. He could hear the music, the crowd, and the commotion just beyond the door, louder now, and had no idea what was about to happen. He was confused, excited, and terrified all at once. Finally, the man urged him to go through the doorway, and Colin did, stepping out onto a large theater stage decked out with tons of decorations and props. A band was playing the music from a platform on the stage above him. There were hundreds of people in the audience screaming and roaring his name, and then a large group of dancers encircled him as the band began playing his own personal theme song. <laughs> my god this is so crazy and we're gonna look at we're gonna look at footage of this opening number I I fire, and here he so they're so they're on they're on stage colin is standing in the center just like overwhelmed and just so confused and just looking around like what the fuck is happening right now and there's all these dancers dancing around him. There's a band up on a platform on the stage above everybody who's playing this song. Multiple cameramen. Yeah, multiple cameramen, including the Observer. And they're playing the song. I can't really make out the lyrics, but it's just it's a, it's a Velocity Gnome song. Um, and then there's another video from a Closer angle of the band, where I guess the lyrics are a little bit clearer. Um, this is so crazy. And so this band, I guess this band is called Totally Rad, um, with two exclamation points after Rad in the name. And um, yeah, they're they're performing the, this music live on stage during the show. And um,
0: can we get these guys? Like, what was the process? Did they audition for this? Did they just know Joe and Dylan? Like, how how the fuck did this happen? Yeah, they're
1: probably they're probably just a bunch of fans. I mean, not fans, friends. They're probably just a bunch of friends of Dylan and Joe. Like, these are all all just probably friends of their i mean they're probably not all friends of them like all the characters and actors and stuff like that but like the band the people whoever made the comic whoever you know they're they're probably all just friends of them or maybe just schoolmates um yeah and there's there's not footage of all of the whole um show and there's not footage of all the songs but there are uh, video clips of a couple pieces of the show and a couple of the songs, including that opening one. Um, and then here's a, here's a shot of the stage. Man, that's a big ass stage. There's a shitload of people in there. What the fuck the stage is like, there's, there's, there's hundreds of people in the audience. The stage is this big stage. It's like, a it's almost, a, it's almost a, um, a, um, a black box theater stage. Cause you know, like a, like a, a, a theater. Usually there's like, there's a, there's the audience, the seats, the house, and then there's a, a pit where the orchestra would go. And then there's a stage which is elevated up above the, um, the orchestra pit where it's higher than the audience. And so when you're watching, you're kind of looking up a little higher than you. And then there's um, a black box theater where the audience is elevated up and then the stage is like down on the ground. So there, so the audience is actually higher than the the stage. And it creates a different dynamic. It creates a more um, intimate dynamic where you feel like you're kind of more like um, interacting or like like in the room with whatever the whatever's happening. And so this is like I think it it is a black box theater where the, the stage is actually lower than the audience. But then they have like a platform that I don't know if the platform was part of the theater or if it's added for the show. But there's a platform on the stage that is like raises it up a little bit more. And then there are these two like um, scaffolding things at the back of the stage that are that are turned that have like wood built onto them. And they're turned into platforms where people can stand up on top of them and be high above the audience. And then in the middle, there's a raised platform where the band is playing. And then there's a there's two video screens on the left and right. There's a there's a projector screen on uh, stage right where video footage is being played for various parts of the show. And then on stage left, there's a round projector projector screen. And that's where Father Time talks. He's like being he's like being projected like he's speaking through a portal. And then there are two other um, doors on the screen on the stage on the left and the right and they're, uh, they're portal doors and one of them says past and one of them says future. Also, what does that say on the... Does that say Pistorian? On the side of the... on the? Yeah, it does say Pistorian. And uh, so, the best way I can think of to recount the rest of the events of this fucking rock opera that documented Velocity Gnome's adventures through time and his epic battle against his own son Zane and the evil Maggie Hark is to recite Colin's own first-person telling of the experience on futureshock.com, edited and paraphrased heavily for time. Dancers circle the brightly lit Stage wrought with steel beams and mechanical parts everywhere, with three massive screens suspended high above, showing the live video of me that the observer was taking. A massive cheer erupted, and I turned around to witness a completely packed theater of nearly 300 people, all standing and yelling as loud as possible. And it dawned on me that what was actually happening. The music flared as I stepped onto the stage in a daze and the dancers encircled me, lights all focused on the ring. I tried to regain my senses, but all I could do was stand there completely dumbfounded. The song drew to a close, and the dancers fled off the stage. The theater went dark, and I was left standing alone in front of the crowd. A loud voice suddenly echoed throughout the theater.
0: My, oh my, I may not know my lips from a lighthouse, but I know Colin Pope when
1: I see him! I looked up, and in the corner on a circular screen, a large image of a man with a wild beard and goggles appeared, staring straight out at me. I'm sorry, he said. We haven't been properly introduced. I'm Father Time, owner and proprietor of Time itself. Tell me, how are you, young fellow? I'm well, Father Time, I said in a loud voice, looking up at him. If I was going to be in this show now, I'd have to fit the part and play along. Luckily, when you know the story by heart, improvising the lines is somewhat easier. I swung around and looked to the side of the stage. A massive contraption sat in the dark, covered with gears and buttons, looking quite ominous. I walked over to inspect, but as I drew near, spotlight suddenly lit up a figure standing above the audience.
2: FATHER!
1: Looking up, I saw none other than Zane Figium, my future son and traitor to humanity. He wore little besides a red cape and boxer briefs and was looking downright furious. Thinking for a moment, I took a cautious step towards Zane. What I think, Zane, is that I'm going to stop the doomsday device, stop Armageddon, and stop you. This sent the crowd into a frenzy of cheering. A laugh rang out from offstage. It's him, Zane whispered.
0: The end day is close now.
1: A figure strolled out of the darkness and into the spotlight, and I recognized him as none other than Maggie Hark, the arch nemesis of myself and all humanity. I had met him originally in Minneapolis, when he was in disguise, posing as the human Tyler. True to Maggie's usual outfit, he was clad in brown suspenders with his trademark metal arms at his sides. He stared directly at me.
2: You're after this.
1: He said, holding up a large yellow key that was hanging from his neck by a string. But it's late. Too late. Remember this? Maggie's hand reached to his side, and he pulled out the phaser that I was all too familiar with. It had been drawn on me before, in the forest preserve of Minneapolis.
0: Behold! The Doomsday Device!
1: The Doomsday Device sprung to life, with wheels spinning and clicking, gears turning and moving itself slowly out onto the stage, its top segment rotating a gigantic metal protrusion towards the audience. Zane addressed Maggie Hark. There was a
0: time when I entertained thoughts of stopping you. All I would need is the key hung around your neck, and it would be so simple as entering your maintenance overdrive code
1: during the final countdown. Maggie, becoming extremely furious at hearing this, screamed. What? A spy? A mole in my midst? You know entirely too
0: much. You've gone and learned by password without my permission. A sad look passed over Zane's face. Why not? He said. I might as well perish along with this chaos. This is the revenge I've asked for. I have nothing left to lose. I've already
1: lost all I once cared about. He looked over at me. Maggie removed the key from his neck, dramatically stuck it into the doomsday device and turned it. A siren blared throughout the theater and a female voice spoke. Final countdown initiated. End day will occur in two minutes, zero seconds. All space
0: and time within the infinite radius of the Doomsday device will cease to exist. Please ensure that
1: all your affairs are in order. I ran over to the Doomsday device, but the key was broken. I could do nothing to stop it. I ran through a portal on the opposite side of the stage labeled PAST. In a split second, I made up my mind and sprinted through the gate.
0: Do not change much, but do not forget your mission.
1: Father Time called after me. The stage went dark. After a set change, the lights came back up. A man was reading a newspaper. Ho, ho, ho. I see the circus is coming to town. Beth, get in here. The circus, it's coming to town. My mom's name is Beth, and this made me instantly realize that I had traveled to the past and was replaying through the night that I first met Zane Figian. The doorbell rang. Good evening, Grim, um, Madam. My name is Zane Figian. I'm here to see the one who they call Colin Pope. My mom stared quizzically at him and then turned around to me. Colin is for you. I played out the basic events of discovering the scrapbook and telling my parents about it before father time reappeared on the video screen and urged me through another portal on the stage labeled the future. I was placed at yet another table, but this only had one other seat besides mine. Maggie sat down opposite me. It became obvious the next stop on my journey through the time stream was meeting Tyler slash Shags at the restaurant in Minnesota. I could see that something was obviously different from the actual event. Tyler had a large key hanging around his neck, the same he did earlier in the show before it was broken. I looked down at my menu and realized that it said Belgian waffles over and over. That was indeed what I had ordered. We told the waitress what we wanted, and she left. Tyler casually took the key off his neck and stuffed it into his backpack. I have to go to the bathroom. I'll I'll be right back. He said, getting up and leaving the stage. It was obvious what I had to do now. I quickly bent down and rummaged through his backpack, fishing out the key. The lights cut out, and Father Time said excitedly, I can't hold you in this time, Colin, Pope. You're time-shifting. Don't worry, though. I'll catch you. I ran to the future portal and was again turned around as the stage changed. A woman dressed as a scientist and holding a clipboard was standing next to where I sat, while two soldiers manned the towers. Scanning the area with turrets, she jotted down some notes on her pad and said, Let's see. Continuing on with Zane's favorites list, um, we have his
0: favorite painter, Georgia O'Keeffe. His favorite actor, Bill Pullman, favorite food, s'mores. Am I I correct, sir?
1: Yes. I replied, not entirely sure what was happening in the scene yet. At that moment, a robot made of boxes and silver wrappings came lumbering through the portal and attacking scientists around me. Sir! The female scientist yelled, We have to evacuate! Evading the robot, I ran through the future portal and the lights on the stage vanished. The usual guy came and took my gun and then turned me right back around to the stage where Zane was now sitting in front of a capsule of light that looked like a fire. Cricket sounds played in the background with the fire crackling softly. Okay, Dad, I guess I'll see you later. Don't work too hard. Zane said, looking away towards the opposite side of the stage from me. Father Time suddenly piped up.
0: Remember, Colin, he must know how you truly feel. But be wary, creating a time paradox will thrust you into an alternate timeline from which you cannot return. It will destroy the entirety of the time stream's history.
1: I approached Zane and he looked up at me, shocked.
0: Dad, what are you doing here? I thought you just left. You
1: look younger. Did you, did you shave? Father, I really, I wanted to talk. Zane rose from his log and picked up a microphone. The band on the stage behind us began to play, and Zane burst into song.
0: This is the greatest fucking thing. This is the greatest fucking thing. This is a little bit of the song. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
1: So this whole song goes on and it eventually uh, ends um, with them uh, sitting down at this uh, fire and talking. And I actually think this is like the only clip of the actual show. They hug at the end of the song. Face
0: the audience. Come on, Colin. Never turn your back on a crowd.
1: he said he asked him what his favorite painter was and he said bill pullman <laughs> oh, come on colin come on bro the and then uh the the uh, the father father time tells him to listen to the voices echoing through the time stream and it's the audience they're whispering the right answer to him Then he says georgia o'keefe which is the right answer
2: <laughs> this fucking rules, dude. Yeah, I, th- I think I
1: think that's the only clip of the actual show that exists on the internet. Yeah, so he, he basically... The, there was a scene before where they were going through a list of Zane's favorite things in some science lab. And they listed these things. And then the very next scene, he asks him these questions, prompting him to give the answers to tr- prove that he cares about them. um So that's that's uh, I didn't transcribe the whole rest of the show because it's a lot of stuff. And this this would be much longer if I did it. So I'm just going to summarize the rest of the show. We're not going to actually go through it line by line. Um, I'm going to summarize the rest of the show. And then the very end of it, we're going to go back to Colin's first person account. After this, Colin and Zane are attacked by Cybears. Father Time tells Colin that he can't intervene in any more of the past and he's forced to leave Zane to fight the Cybears by himself as he escapes into the future portal. He goes back to the beginning events of the play where he meets Zayn and then Maggie activates the Doomsday Device. Zayn attacks Maggie but Maggie mortally wounds him and then he escapes. Colin goes and puts the key he retrieved from the past into the Doomsday Device but he needs the password, which Zayn knows. Zane doesn't want to give it to him because he thinks he doesn't care about him and only wants the password. Colin proves he cares about his son by repeating the list of Zane's favorite things to him, and Zane finally realizes that his father does love him, gives him the password, and then dies, seemingly. Before Colin can enter the password into the device, Maggie comes back and is about to shoot him with a phaser. However, someone shoots the phaser out of his hand from off stage, and then all the characters from the day, Ultra, Darwin the Wizard, Worm the Scholar, and Lazon, come on stage and aid Colin in the final battle. The group faces off in a battle against Maggie, attacking him from all sides. However, they start to lose because Maggie is too powerful. Lazon laments that he used to be more powerful before he lost his beard in battle, but if he could only get it back, he could defeat Maggie. Colin is prompted and takes the fake beard he had been wearing out of his bag and gives it to Lazon. Now more powerful, they continue fighting Maggie and eventually overpower him. Colin enters the password into the Doomsday device, deactivating it, and then Father Time sends the Doomsday device and Maggie through the time portal and locks them back into cyberspace for all of eternity. And then this is the final bit of uh, Colin's first-person account. A cough came from the aisle. Zane moved slightly and brought himself up to his knees. Zane! I yelled, running over to him. I kneeled down beside Zane and he spoke to me. Father, it it is truly over. Please, uh, come with me. We stood up and he took me to the center of the aisle, below a large web-like mechanical dome with screens affixed to either side. I'm sorry, Father. I'm sorry for the hatred that I had in my heart. I cannot forget the
0: past. Some things you did, or rather did not do, have hurt me. But your future is bright. Let us start the day anew. Time war. Father, thank you for showing me the way.
1: Now, let us return to where we belong. Father, will you join me? The dome slowly lowered over us, and in a flash, everything went dark. The audience got to their feet and applauded louder than anything thus far that night. And as the lights came back up, all the characters slowly came back onto the stage. Happy and triumphant, music was playing, and the dancers had come back out. Come, Colin, said Zane. I followed him up the stage, and everyone, including some audience members, had run up and started to dance around me. Please, he said, take a bow. We couldn't have done this without you. I stepped forward to the center of the stage and bowed low in front of everyone who had just witnessed the once-in-a-lifetime event. After the show was over, for the first time in three years, Colin was able to talk to Dylan, aka Zane, Joe, and all the other people involved out of character. They thanked him for helping them do this entire thing, and then urged him to go and meet the crowd. Everyone who had been in the audience treated him like a celebrity, taking pictures with him and asking him to sign their copies of the comic book and their programs. Dylan and Joe eventually invited Colin to go out to dinner with him and their families, which he did. That night at dinner, Colin finally asked the question that had been consuming him for the last three years. How and why did you choose me? Well, let's hear why in Dylan's own words. Uh,
3: So, the internet had grown a lot, and my year back from college, uh, we started reminiscing, Joe and I, about a friend of ours that we used to make board games with and make movies, and we wondered what happened to him. And we realized, you know, search engines exist now. That's like a thing. Uh, And we were dumbfounded that we'd never thought of it before, so I put his name in very meticulously, because Alta Vista was touchy. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we got a hit. Uh, It was a picture on this website called transmogrified.net. But it wasn't of my friend. It was a picture of his little brother. This website was amazing. Uh, It was made by a guy named Colin Pope, and it was a proto-social network. Now this was before Facebook, before MySpace, or Friendster, or any of that stuff, but this kid had developed a small social network for his 12 friends in a small private school in Chicago, Illinois. And we had front row seats to see their gossip, who's dating who, uh, what band Mike's in, uh, and it was like our own private version of MTV's The Real World. Uh, and it was incredible. I became obsessed. Joe and I checked this every day, and we were learning more and more about these people. And we learned that Rachel was dating a new guy. And we started to have to take notes, because there was a lot of information, like addresses, and you know who transferred schools. And Colin dropped out of high school, and that was big. So I took notes. And I realized that we'd been doing this for a year, which was weird. Uh, and we started to get a little self-conscious. And I noticed, you know, I, I tuned into the, to the real world, tuned into transmogrified.net. And Colin just seemed a little down. And I had this overwhelming urge to want to do something to cheer him up. But I don't know this guy. I don't know any of these people. They don't know that I exist. They don't know we've been studying them meticulously for a year. So I decide to do something nice for Colin. Uh, uh, Joe and I decide we're going to write a book from the future telling Colin that he's the savior of mankind <laughs> during the robot apocalypse. Uh, so unbeknownst to the internet, unbeknownst to Colin, no one knew we existed, uh, we made this book. Joe flew out to meet me in Ohio. We drove to Chicago And we mixed the facts from that website with this mythology we created where he's some kind of John Connor-esque figure uh, that will lead humanity's last chance for survival. Uh, So I clutched the book close to my chest. Joe pulled up around the corner because we were kind of afraid of cops. He had put his address online, and we pulled up in front of his, you know, I came in front of his house and went past the white picket fence, holding this book that I had wrapped in newspaper, and it just said, To Colin, from the future. (laughs) And I knock three times, and the door opens, and it's his mom. We were not planning on adults in this equation. Uh, and I, she called me out right away. She said, uh, Excuse me, do you know my son? And I said, He'll know me in the future. <laughs> she, yep, she looked puzzled. Uh, she took a pause, then she turned over her shoulder and yelled up the stairs Hey, Colin, there's someone at the door for you. He says he's from the future. Colin raced downstairs. I got on one knee, bowing to my once and future king. I told him to take this book and study, that he's a very important man and it's an honor to meet him, and then I disappeared into the night. Mission accomplished! Uh, Joe and I hugged and embraced, and we went to sleep feeling like kings until the next day, uh, where I was woken up with a frantic phone call from Joe. Uh, I was sure that the police had been informed <laughs> of our actions but instead he said get on the internet right now. Uh, I went online and what I saw was that Colin had scanned all 32 pages of this book and put it on an online forum with a description of his now uh, duty to save the world basically <laughs> and it was exploding. Uh, there were a hundred thousand hits on this page overnight Thousands of comments people wanting to know how they can help people wanting to know how the world will end asking millions of questions and I realized that we had exceeded expectations. We had created An internet living legend and his name was Colin Pope savior of mankind Then we read more comments, and some people started to get really mean. They said that he made it up, and that he was doing this all for attention, and they were making fun of Colin. And we had to have Colin's back, because that's not why we did this. We did this because it was positive and fun, and we connected with him and felt like what he felt, and we knew what it was like to feel that way. And so it was clear that uh, why would they believe him, you know? It was just a random kid from the internet uh, and a weird book and everything he was supposed to do happened in the future anyways. So I get why people doubted him. (laughs) So Joe and I realized we had to make the robot apocalypse happen so that Colin could save us. And unbeknownst to the internet and unbeknownst to Colin and on the friends, uh, we spent the next year planning.
1: That is the genesis of why they did this, how they found him, how they knew so much about him, how they went about selecting him. And basically, you know, the first event that happened in 2003 was supposed to be a one-off, just weird little thing where they just gave him a book, and then he just spent the rest of his life wondering what the fuck happened. But when they found out that people were making fun of him and doubting his story online, they were like, oh, we have to, like, do this again in a more provable way where we can show people, like, oh, and this was a real thing where people were involved in it. And he just didn't he didn't just make it up. So then they did the Minneapolis thing and that was supposed to be the end of the story as well but then um, once he found once Colin found out about the art exhibit that they had done then they were like oh well we have we we have to do more with this now now that he found out about this art exhibit about him we have to we have to do something else and so they spent the next year planning out the whole ending of this so so basically there was like three phases of it there was the initial one with just the book it was supposed to be the end of it then there was the Minneapolis event where he flew there and did that whole scavenger hunt that was supposed to be the end of it and then the whole rest of it was- men- meticulously planned out and executed over the course of a year in two thousand five. I think
0: it's the fucking coolest thing that's ever been made it's i love I love it so much. <laughs> I think also this is probably a perfect time for us to talk about the thing we've been alluding to the whole time. So I don't even know how to start this. Like what, it's your story? I'll let you tell it. It's your story. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is pretty
1: simple. honestly, um, I was gonna I was gonna propose to my wife. my wife. And um, in a, in the typical fashion of basically anything that I do, Um, I want to do it in a really over-the-top conceptual way. And I'm not even saying that in a way of like, oh, I'm just so romantic that I have to do it in this over-the-top way. Um, it's really honestly, it's not even about that. It's more of just in general. I like to do things in a really over the top, theatrical or conceptual way, and this was no different. So, and also, I just you know something something about the idea of just like that stereotypical thing of like you're up on a mountaintop and you like propose with a ring or like there's something about that I just really dislike. I just, it just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable and makes makes me cringe a little bit. So basically, what I decided to do was it, it started out my initial. So I had an idea a while back where I wanted to propose by. Um, so so uh, my wife and I di- were not married when we had our first son, Ephraim. Um, uh, um who? Oh, oh, oh no, 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 edit, edit, edit. Uh, No, my my, my wife and I were not married when we had our first son, uh, J.J. the fourth. And so at some point I had an idea that we have a we have a fireplace in our house and it's like a brick fireplace. And I one day I thought that it reminded me of the cave in The Legend of Zelda when in the very beginning of the first game where you go into the cave and then there's the wizard and he says it's dangerous to go alone. Take this and then there's this uh the sword that you take the sword and the shield and i the the fireplace reminded me of it so i had an idea where i wanted to at the time jj the 4th was very little where he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk and so i wanted to take him and put him into this little chair that we had that's like basically it's like a little chair that forms around a baby so that they could sit in it and they can't move
0: yeah i've got a couple of those
1: yeah that for yourself yeah yeah um and so i had the idea i wanted to buy him a mini wizard costume and I wanted to um, dress up the uh, dress him up in the wizard costume. I wanted to put him in this chair, and I wanted to put him in between the fireplace because we don't use this fireplace. Um we actually store toys in it. So I wanted to put him <laughs> into the fireplace and then um, print out a little thing done in the pixel art like text from Zelda. That said that says it's dangerous to go alone, take this and then have uh, the the we, the ring, the engagement ring in front of uh, JJ the fourth um, open and then have the Zelda music playing, get her to leave and then have her come back and walk in on that scene. And so um, that was my idea. And I was I kind of had it in my back pocket for a while and then whenever i was kind of starting to get to a point where i was like i'm going to i'm going to do this uh she went out of town she went to visit her family for a couple weeks and so left alone to my own devices that idea slowly bu- uh ballooned more and more to the point where i had completely it didn't even involve that anymore it had completely sh- uh evolved and shifted into a day long um augmented reality game that was uh fantasy themed and it was and it had turned into a thing where she would wake up one day and I would be gone, and our son would be gone, and she would find a a, a book that had a, a, a tale in it, um, a a, a legend of of a, an, an adventurer having to go in quest to save um a prince, and it was it was it was like a generic version of Zelda, obviously. Didn't want to get sued by fucking Nintendo <laughs> by the wedding proposal that would trigger a lawsuit. Um, so, um, and that she would go on this quest around town, finding these clues that would eventually lead her to a place where she would save me and then the proposal would happen. So she, so she woke up and found this book with this story. And it led her on this whole thing. And uh, she, found a, she found a treasure chest that had this. Scroll- well, hold on. Wait, hold
0: on. Let me, let, me, let me jump in here and say what my experience of this is up to this point. So I get a text from you saying, hey, do you want to help me do a thing? And I'm like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, sure. Of course. Why not? He goes, you're, you're like, OK, all right. It's going to be you and two of our other or three of our other friends. I'm going to need you to come to my house dressed in that cape that we used for that one short film. It's like a like a hooded, not Dracula cape. It's like a black wizard's cape. I need you to come dressed it's like, like it's that. like a
1: cultist robe.
0: Yeah, it's like a cultist robe. And I was like,
1: <laughs> say no more, baby. And by the way, the, the by the way, the one little issue that she had with this whole thing was she was like she was like, what? Why didn't you get like my friends to do this? And I was just like, I wasn't going to ask random people to do this fucking weird thing with us. Like we had to we had to do rehearsals. Like, like, I, would, like I, I I understand that that would probably be, have been like a more, I understand that, that would have probably been like slightly better, but there was no way I was going to just be like, hey, person that I've like met a couple times. Do you want to do this really fucking weird thing with me? Baby, I could have been your agent. I, that sounds
0: exactly like what I want to do. Talk to random strangers and ask them to be shopkeepers and wizards. Hell yes. Instead of casting you in it, I just... I'm like the producer. I show up. I've like gained 60 pounds. I'm smoking a cigar. And I'm like, all right, kid, we're going to put you in the wedding proposals. Eh? But basically, so I roll up to his house. Uh, you know, he says, oh, we're going to, I'm going to do this wedding proposal. And I need you and Mike and Tyler and, and one of our other friends. Um, and we're, you guys are going to come over to the house and we're going to do this weird wedding proposal thing. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that sounds great. So I got cast as a shopkeeper, I have multiple characters, but first as a shopkeeper. So Jaden comes out of the door after you and uh, JJ the Fourth have left.
1: She find she fi- she found a treasure chest, and the treasure chest had a scroll that kind of introduced her to what was happening, and it had a a a, a hat uh, uh, that had a GoPro attached to it. So she puts on this hat that's like Link's hat, basically. It's it was literally just like Link costume hat, but it has a GoPro on it, and she's instructed to turn on the 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 all seeing eye that can document her adventure or whatever. So she turns on the GoPro. So the whole thing is is recorded from her perspective. She goes out into the living room. She finds this book that has this story on it that tells her like what she needs to do and that she needs to go out into the world and go on this quest. And then she leaves. And that's that's up to the point where she walks outside.
0: And so I'm standing that out there in the in Andrew's front yard for probably 15 minutes waiting for her to come out dressed like a crazy person. I have a little folding table in front of me that I use as like an auxiliary table for making work, my art and stuff. So it's like, I have like a drawing table and then this little folding table next to it. And so I'm standing there with a folding table with a bunch of these little knickknacks that Andrew's given me and dressed in a robe. And I'm standing there and I'm like, man, she's taking a long time. Standing there, standing there. Man, She's really taking a long time. And then one of your neighbors walked by and it was like something out of a movie. Like they walked by, kind of looked at me, did a double take and I went, hey. And then the guy (laughs) went, hey, and kept walking. (laughs) And so then I'm standing there for another 10 minutes being like, fuck, this is taking forever. And then I realize that my bright neon pink backpack is sitting right next to me. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to move this before she comes out. So I put it behind this big tree in Andrew's front yard. And as soon as I'm like walking back to the table, I hear her like fucking around with the door getting ready to come out. She comes out, I make it behind the table. And then I do this elaborate like, hello, young traveler. Blabbery, blabbery, blah.
1: Shopkeeper. Let, I'm going I'm gonna play a, a short clip from it.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the storefront. Oh. Yes. Have you heard the rumor? There's monsters to the southeast attacking the Griffith Mountains. What? What? Yes. It's crazy town over there. <laughs> <laughs> Would you care to peruse some of my shop items?
2: Oh yeah, I have money.
0: Hmm. I suggest the teleportation stone. Okay. It's 20,000 rupees.
2: Oh, that's... No, no, no.
0: 20,000. I'll give it to you on credit. 20,000 rupees.
2: <laughs> I don't think I have that. I'm also the cheap person. Whenever oh, I play this game, who goes with the? now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, that's quite disappointing. I was hoping that I could pay off my village storefront mortgage with the sale of this <laughs> teleportation stone to an affluent adventurer such as yourself.
2: I think I'll go with the...
0: The five rupees for the adventure map?
2: I literally think I only have something like that. Oh, yes. So...
0: Yes. Yes. Yes five rupees the adventure map is now yours Ooh. too bad you couldn't afford the teleportation stone it's probably going to be useful later <laughs> 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 Unless
2: <you have> to <laughs> get
1: that's so stupid that's so stupid the funny part about that is like the biggest like takeaway from being obsessed with this velocity gnome story and studying it and like rereading it over and over again and kind of like becoming fascinated by just what it is is like an informing you know me having ideas for my own projects and things like that is like the, the the most interesting or fascinating part of it is Studying the sort of the the craft of the strategy of creating interactive stories and how you subtly guide people to do things and um, make choices that, that you need them to make to to further the story and go places that you need them to go. And sometimes it's as simple as just like here's a map and it's guiding you to this place. And sometimes you have to like craft ways in which to like guide their behavior in a way that's like it's it's part of the story and it doesn't feel like it takes you out of it. And sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's comedic, but it's always like guiding them to know what they need to do. And so, you know, like like that, for instance, there she needs to get this map um, that get, that has a, a map of where she needs to go and it has coordinates to the specific places she needs to go. So you have two items there. One of them is a teleportation device that literally can make her go anywhere she wants to go. And then it's ridiculously overpriced to where she can't afford it. And then the other thing is just the map that sh- I need her to get. And it costs exactly the same amount of rupees that she got in the treasure chest when she opened it. So it's like all these decisions that are like, okay, we're guiding you. Like, you you're you're going to get from these different points, like, oh... This other thing is ridiculously overpriced and it's the thing that I could use to cheat this whole thing and just skip to the end. And then this other thing is the exact amount that I, that I have. So I'm being guided to choose this thing that I need to and I know it's important. But then but then you go and you say that thing that's unintentionally sounds like you're foreshadowing something where you go. It's a shame you couldn't get the teleportation device. You might have needed that later. And it's like uh, making it sound as if she does need the teleportation device and that it is going to come into play later. And then she's and then she says something like, oh, do I need that? And then you're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) and then she turns
0: around in that video she turns around and she's like what's that bright pink thing over there behind that tree do I need that and I was like no that's no that's that's my backpack it's my backpack um but yeah I mean ultimately the the story is like the listener gets what it what it is we ran through this in giant this giant kind of augmented reality game for your proposal which was super fun um and uh in fact when we were out in public there was we went to was it echo park that we were at yeah we were, we were I had to go to Echo Park before everybody else and I had to set up that same table there to do another bit. And while I was there waiting for her to show up, somebody that I know from my like just normal life walked by and was like, Dave? <laughs> and I was like, hello, travel. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm helping my friend with this thing. You know,
1: <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, clear, clearly, clearly inspired by that. But yeah. So, so Colin Pope and Dylan Reef are, they, they basically, they have both gone on to be like um, known figures in, in uh, the media and entertainment space. Um, Colin Pope is uh, an animator who creates like editorial animation. He worked at the Washington Post for years and did um adi- editorial animation for for Washington Post feature stories. Um he just recently left that job and now I think he's just doing freelance. Um but he's a he's a blue check mark on Twitter um and he does these animations and Dylan Reef is um he worked for a while like basically taking the the case study of the Velocity Gnome thing that they did. And using it to um, design and create um, interactive um, storytelling games for other people. So he would literally he literally worked a job like designing stuff like Velocity Gnome for other people to do. And then he ended he ended up uh, co founding uh, a comedy club, and he's the artistic director for it. What's the What's the club? Kickstand Comedy, um, and uh, yeah, he did that. He did that storytelling thing a couple years ago where he went on stage and talked about the whole thing and um, yeah I reached out to them and they did not get back to me but they're, they're out there you know making stuff and doing cool things to this day
0: I mean, honestly, I don't even know what more to say other than like just the same shit we've been saying for the past seventy hours, which is like this is the coolest fucking shit ever. Yeah, this is what uh, I realized my
1: screen wasn't shared, but uh, this this is what Colin looks like. Oh, developed into quite a nice looking young man. Yeah, I mean, because this this was a long time ago, so these guys are like you know they're in their they're in their like forties now. Um, this is Dylan, <laughs> just a, a giant mustache.
0: What about Joe? What about Olderty uh, Joe?
1: I I don't know. Yeah, he's really he really didn't like go on to do anything that I could find. It really was like it seemed like Dylan was kind of like the main driving force in the whole thing. And he was just kind of his partner in crime that maybe just didn't go on and like do anything else um, like 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 art wise necessarily. Well, I fucking
0: love it. It's delightful. That was a wild ride. Delightful. So funny. Wish we could have interviewed those guys.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I evangelize this story any chance I get. I send it to people to have them read through it. Very few people I think actually do that. Um, I doubt many people that I've showed this to actually read it because it, it you know it's, a, it's it's quite an investment of time to read through this whole thing. and I feel like people just probably don't care about it as much as I do. Um, but I, I try to I try to tell people about it all the time. And so I always have thought it would be a cool idea to do an episode of Deep Cuts about this to tell even more people about it. And not only that, but tell people that actually might give a shit about it because they care about, you know, stories that we tell. Obviously, that's the conceit of this whole podcast. And uh, yeah, it would have been cool to have them on here to talk about it some more, but I could not get in contact with
2: them. Well,
0: you know, Velocity Gnome Part 2 coming next year, where we spent an entire year orchestrating a bizarre labyrinthian augmented reality game that climaxes in both of them meeting up in a recording studio in Burbank, seeing each other for the first time since they were like 18. And then we walk in and we're like, we're going to interview you. What's up?
1: And then later on, they do an interview being like, that was manipulative. We didn't actually, that wasn't actually the first time we'd seen each other in years. They just kind of acted like it was. They're frauds. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price.
0: This has been Deep Cuts. Uh, if you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so. HeyDaveBaker.com, xDaveBaker, uh, x on all of the social media platforms. Please go to your local bookstore, buy my new graphic novel. Everyone is Tulip. It's out everywhere. Fucking Barnes and Noble, baby. Amazon, baby. Indiebound, baby everywhere it's crazy you live in europe you can get that shit you live in iceland you can get that shit you live in amsterdam i know you can get that shit because i sent book plates to amsterdam baby
1: jesus you're go you're going you're going full
0: baby <laughs> i'm i'm out here living that baby life baby it's a tick now baby it's a prison baby i'm living inside of a prison of my own making baby
1: you're stuck inside of the the baby prison,
0: <laughs> Andrew. Also, you can read the majority of the book online for free at uh, evernotustulip if you don't want to pay for it. Uh, sample it there,
1: and then you, you you fuck over the baby at the end because you're you're selling the baby, you're pushing it, you're making that you're making that bag for that baby, and then at the end you're like, but then you can just look at, at it for free. Yeah, because all comic book
0: people they can't help it; they read that shit for free, and then they go buy it, baby. <laughs> oh,
1: you 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 baby twisted me at the end. <laughs> Andrew, where can people find you on the internet, baby? You can find me engaged in an epic battle against my son from the future who's come back in time to resurrect a robotic professional wrestler to kill me and then destroy the universe. But I've been reincarnated so many times that I finally subtly learned how to defeat the robotic professional wrestler and that I can actually stop him Get rid of the doomsday device and save the earth while reconnecting with my future son so that he doesn't hate me anymore. And you can also find me at DA Price Rights, where you can get my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can get Deep Cuts merch by going to DeepCutsPod.com, clicking on the shop, or just going to bit.ly.com slash DeepCuts merch, where you can get t t-shirt, shirts and many different cool Deep Cuts designs. You can get a Deep Cuts Junior Sleuth patch by going to DeepCutsPod.com and clicking on the shop. Um, and yeah, also really quick, um, because I said so on last week's episode, I told you I put out a call to arms to bring me your greatest pizza, pizza, paparizza memes. And so, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at them and we're gonna talk about them. Also, secondarily, we've kind of talked about this back and forth a little bit, and we finally decided to just pull the trigger on it because of, um, this pizza, pizza, paparizza thing. So not only are we going to take a look at just pizza, pizza, paparizza memes for this one specific instance, but also we're going to start doing a regular segment at the end of every episode. There might be a few episodes that come out that don't have it because we pre-recorded and we're not going to go back and like add it in or whatever. But we're going to start reacting to to memes made by listeners. So if you are going to make a deep cuts meme, whether it's pizza, pizza, paparizza, whether it's Davy Bakes, whether it's Hillsmer, whether it's Baron von Buelsenbark, whether it's fucking bacon and legs, whatever it is, whether it's the baby prison, whether it's the baby prison, and just memes about the general baby prison that Dave is trapped in in an endless cycle, the ma- the Mothman being like, "We gon' fuck." Any deep cuts related meme. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a meme, come to the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Join the group. Drop the meme. Drop it like it's made of molten baby. Oh my god. <laughs> Drop it in the group. If you don't if you don't use Facebook, email it to andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. Come with your best deep cuts memes and we will look at them, all the ones that have been made and submitted within that week. We're gonna take a look at them, we're gonna react to them on the show at the end. And then we'll, I will drop links to so you can look at the memes um, in the show notes. And we will also take this, uh, this, this Zoom call and do a video version of it where you can actually see us reacting to the memes and see the memes as we're looking at them. That we'll post on our social media channels. So if you want to be featured in the episode, if you want to be featured in these videos, drop us some memes. All right, so let's let's take a look at this. I tried to pull up as many as I could. Oh man, this one is a this is solid. This is solid. So this one this one's from Blas Juarez, who is a listen, deep cuts listener, and he is a regular contributor to the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. And he has made a pizza, pizza, paparizza meme. You want to describe this for us, Dave?
0: It is the, oh my God, what is the name of the pizza company? Little Caesars. uh, It's the Little Caesars mascot, but photoshopped on his head is a puffy hairdo that looks vaguely reminiscent of Andrew's hair and glasses, like Andrew's glasses. And on his, uh, he's holding a thing of breadsticks and pepperoni pizza. In the hand that's holding the breadsticks, it says pizza, pizza, paparizza. And then the toga that he's wearing just says kayfabe- like a mofo which is that is solid that is a solid a really solid uh contender also i'm just noticing for the first time that the interior of the pizza mascot what the fuck is this company called again oh my little god caesar's. little caesars uh the caesar baby baby caesars the the interior of the baby caesars mascot has like
1: ridges in his mouth it's like a body horror nightmare
0: what is that? It's like an accordion in the back of his mouth.
1: Yeah, it's terrifying. That's not a that's not a feature of the meme. That's the original No, that's little, just the actual Caesar. logo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Dave, rate this on a scale of pizza to pizza, 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 pizza,
0: I would say this is a solid pizza, 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 pizza and a half.
1: Fair score. Fair score. All right. Let's look at the next one. Oh, this is this is a this is another good one. This is this is from Jay Bard, who is another listener and member of the group. Regular contributor. Yes, they are.
0: They're very active in a very positive way. Thank you, Jay Bartlesby's. Um, the meme is a dude standing in front of Alexis and it, uh, the top text reads, shout out to pizza, pizza, Paparizza," And the bottom, uh, the bottom flag of texts reads, gotta be one of my favorite genders, which let's be real. That's true. That is a true statement. It's one of the best. What do you, what do what's your vote on the pizza, pizza, Paparizza meme?
1: One in 10 pizzas between pizza and pizza, 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 pizza. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it eight and a half pizzas.
0: All right. So this one is a, what the fuck are those birds called? Ostrich? Little Caesars. It's a, yeah. It's a little, it's a, it's a, it's a giant ostrich. And then coming out of the ostrich's mouth.
1: Actually, you know what? Let's do this one last because this one is actually just a big dump of memes from one specific person and they're all hilarious. So let's do a, let's do the few other remaining. In fact, they're actually, no, that's, no, never mind. There's no more. That was, that's the last one. Um, yeah, so never mind. This this is it. We will do this. So this this is a, this is a dump of a bunch of pizza pizza paparizza memes from mostly one person. A couple other people dropped their memes in this thread as well, but this is largely uh, a bunch of pizza pizza paparita memes from Mike Miller, who is once again a listener of Deep Cuts, a regular contributor to the Deep Cuts podca- podcast podcast fa- Facebook Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group and uh also maybe something else i don't know i don't know but uh he's dumped a bunch of memes in here and then also uh, another deep cuts listener aaron dockery has also dropped a couple of memes in here and uh we will let let's 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 jump through these a little quickly but uh how about yeah how about you you describe it and i'll just rate
0: them and we'll go through them real quick so we don't spend an hour doing this
1: okay so the first one is just an ostrich with Text coming out of its mouth that says, gotta have my pizza pizza paparizza." Seven. The next one is that traditional meme of a guy who's holding hands with his girlfriend, but then he's looking back at another girl that's walking. He has caught her attention and the girlfriend is looking angry the the boyfriend says deep cuts listeners the 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 jealous girlfriend is a bene a, a benevolent and loving god and the hot stranger that's caught his attention is pizza pizza paparizza eight and a half fellini style hell yeah baby um the next one is a version of that drake meme where he's like denying something in the first panel and then like approving of something in the next panel but instead it's geordie laforge doing that and in the first panel where geordie laforge is saying nah it's brand x pizza and then whenever he's saying yeah yeah, it's pizza, pizza, paparizza. 8.75. The next one is that painting of, of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers in Predator as they're clasping hands. And Arnold's arm says borderline illegal ingredients. Carl Weathers' arm says UN sanctions and them coming together and clasping hands is pizza, pizza, paparizza.
0: Oh, solid nine and a half.
1: Nine and a half. Um, The next one is a picture of Spider-Man from within the Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game standing in a park. And it says, tired of the same old boring pizza. And then a picture of Spider-Man from the same game. Uh, Oh, actually, he's... So, Spider-Man is wearing a skin where it's just his Spider-Man mask, and otherwise he's completely naked except for a Speedo. And it says, tired of the same old boring pizza, and then it's the same Spider-Man falling from the sky, flying, you know, just free-falling free falling in the clouds... And it says, "Well, it's time to fuck with pizza, pizza, papparizza, baby."
0: I mean, I gotta go nine and a half just for that, baby.
1: Because of, of the prison.
0: Oh, and this is this one's by Calvin McDonald. This is this is a meme by Calvin McDonald.
1: Calvin McDonald made this one. I, I love, I love this one. I fucking love this one. So it's the meme where it's two astronauts. One of the astronauts is looking at the planet Earth, and then an astronaut is is behind them pointing a gun at them. The planet Earth has the Little Caesars mascot superimposed on top of it. There's The astronaut looking at the Earth has Dave's face photoshopped on top of it. And he's saying, wait, so this podcast has just been a means for you to assume the role of the Little Caesars mascot. And then the other astronaut pointing the gun at that one has my face photoshopped on top of it. And I'm saying always has been. Yeah, I'm going to have to go 10 with this one. Yeah, solid 10. Solid 10. Um, I also love this one very much. This is another Mike Miller, another Mike Miller joint. It's that meme where you have a person, there's people in a church. One person is sitting in the front pew. There's somebody behind them pointing a gun at them in the pew behind them. There's another person behind that person in the third pew behind them pointing a gun at them. And then off in the distance, up on a balcony, there's a sniper pointing a gun at all three of them. The f- the person in the very front that's just sitting there, you know, not doing anything, looking forward, is, it says Andrew and Dave. The person behind that person pointing a gun at them says Norbit. The person behind that person pointing a gun at them says, I am merely referring to the pure sexual animalistic energy that is coming off of this photo, signed Andrew, which is a different meme where I said this one time in reference to a picture of two wrestlers and now Mike Miller and other people take that quote and put it out of context on other pictures of things. And then from the balcony, the sniper is Pizza Pizza paparizza. implying implying that like Pizza Pizza paparizza is like the the supreme meme that has the drop on every other deep cuts meme.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I hate to do this, but I got to go 10 again. That's a that's a solid 10. <laughs>
1: The next one is that is from Aaron Dockery and it's the meme where it's Anakin saying something and then Padme, you know, th- assuming that th- it's the best version of what they're saying. But then Anakin doesn't respond, which leads Padme to be um, questioning of whether or not this thing that they're saying is the right thing. Um, I don't know if that's a way a good way of describing that meme, but I, otherwise, um, I don't know how, to, how else to describe it. Um, and so Anakin is saying, I brought lunch. Padme is smiling and saying, pizza, pizza, paparizza." Anakin is just looking at her coyly. And then she's looking at him questioning and says, it's pizza, pizza, paparizza, right? I'm going to go six. I think that's a pretty solid meme because this feels like a real meme that one of the pizza places would post. Like, this is a real meme that Pizza Hut would post. But it but it says Pizza Hut, not Pizza Pizza Paparizza. Like, this is a real Hello Fellow Kids meme that would be posted by a pizza chain. Um, this one, just by default, I'm just going to say this is my favorite. It's from Mike Miller, and it just says, When it's Pizza Pizza Paparitza time, and then it's the gif of Jack Nicholson emphatically Nodding from the departed <laughs> that's that's so cheap that's so cheap eleven pizzas
0: no that's so 11 cheap. eleven pizzas <laughs> you can't do that damn it Mike you gamed the
1: system you coy motherfucker um oh I fucking love this this one I actually might be I might have to go to twelve pizzas i I forgot about this God one. damn it Andrew you're setting a dangerous precedent to where the numbers just keep going up and there's there's no real scale to it. So it's Aaron Dockery again and this one is a four panel meme and it's Charlie and his grandpa from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's a there's a long standing meme where people talk about what a piece of shit uncle uh, grandpa Joe is because he's bedridden and refuses to help refuses to help Charlie's mom out with any of the housework or cooking and him and his and his other grandparents are all just in bed. They don't do anything. They're just weighted on hand and foot. But then whenever Charlie gets the golden ticket and has to choose somebody to go with him, Grandpa Joe just jumps out of bed and he's suddenly like fine. So, the first one is the first panel is Charlie handing the golden ticket to um, Grandpa Joe, selecting him to come with him. The second panel is Grandpa Joe looking down at the ticket to see what it is. The third panel is a stock photo of somebody holding open a blank piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, pizza, pizza, paparilla has been ha- has been added. And then the fourth panel is Grandpa Joe suddenly standing up and he says, let's fucking do this. It's like it's at least an 11. Um, and then the, the next one is uh, is a is a group photo of the the, the pirate themed super sentai characters go kaijer, yeah. And there's just text on it that says, Me and the squad on the way to Pizza Pizza Paparizza.
0: I mean, that one's targeted directly at me because Captain Marvelous is probably my second favorite sentai ranger. So I'm gonna have to go at least eight and a half, nine. That's, that's solid. A solid Fellini, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna give it to Fellini. Um,
1: so this one is a picture. <laughs> 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 <This>
3: is- <laughs> (laughs) 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 (laughs)
1: i
0: don't think i saw this one in the thread
1: (laughs) i don't think i saw this one either i think this might be the first time i'm seeing it this is great is this mike miller too yeah this one's mike miller this is a mike miller joint this is a picture of a sign at splash mountain um in disneyland featuring the uh racist character brewer rabbit who has since been uh replaced Um, The Splash Mountain has been completely overhauled to be a Princess and the Frog ride because the original theme of it was these characters from Song of the South, the classically banned Disney movie that featured racist caricatures of black people. Um, but it's a picture of Brewer Rabbit and he's sitting on a giant wave and it says, you may get wet. So it's a warning telling people that they're going to get wet.
0: But also he's like spreading his legs in a de- deeply sexual way. He's,
1: he's spreading his legs and the water is gushing out from underneath him and it says, you may get wet. And then the text says, when the pizza pizza paparizza arrives.
0: Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. That's really solid. I'm going to go 10 on that one.
1: Um, the next one is another Mike Miller joint. It's a astronaut costume with a... With a um, the fuck are those dogs
0: yeah whatever a dog it's a dog whatever
1: a, a dog is in the helmet of the of the astronaut um suit and it says do you have a minute to talk about pizza pizza paparizza? uh yeah fellini eight and a half um the next one is another uh mike miller joint it's a gif of um some uh, some basketball players. No, they're
0: wrestlers. They're, oh, they're, they're wrestlers. Okay, they're wrestlers. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, there's some. Uh, there's a. There's a guy like a like a PA or like a stagehand or whatever he is. Um, and he is standing. Um, somebody holds a little mini basketball hoop over his head from behind him where he can't see, and then the other wrestler like jumps and like dunks on it onto his head. And then it says the fam when you come home with pizza, pizza, paparizza.
0: I'm gonna go reverse Fellini, four and a half.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I'm a little confused by this one, honestly.
0: So I think, honestly, the winner of this was either that one that you freaked out about, or, or uh, the Splash
1: Mountain one, just because I, I haven't laughed that hard in a meme in a while. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's either the, it's the Splash Mountain one or the, um, oh, the Aaron Dockery
0: joint of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or the one. Charlie
1: and the Chocolate. Those, yeah, those, those are, those two are are head to head for sure.
0: All right. Do we want to, do we want to vote? Do we want to split the vote? Do we want to declare an official winner?
1: How do, how do we split the vote when there's two people?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm asking. Are you voting for one and I'm voting for the other, or are we actually declaring a winner?
1: I think I got to, I, I think I gotta vote for the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one.
0: All right. Your vote goes Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Um, I'm gonna go I'm if I'm following my heart, I would vote for Mike Miller's You Make It Wet. But in this for the sake of the first inaugural meme, I'm going to uh I'm gonna
1: be trapped in the baby prison and vote Aaron Dockery just so we actually have a winner. Yeah, so just so the first one is not a total failure. All right, well then you, you there you have it. You have the winner of the first annual Pizza Pizza Paparizza meme competition, the sleeper surprise upset of Aaron Dockery.
0: Yeah, solid choice. Close runner up though, Mike Miller because god damn it, that guy made like 17 fucking memes.
1: Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit BoyGeniusMedia.com or DeepCutsPod.com. If you want to join in
0: on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.
1: The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, Anywhere you get your podcasts and pseudocide who can be found on Facebook at P S E U D O C I D E with spaces between each letter because apparently Facebook doesn't like the use of the Latin stem side and the dead boy detectives.